This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You okay Whoa. there? Dr. Matt, back. Oh, little raspy there. The, the, uh, the big question is, are you over the man flu yet? No. The man flu is real. I have the... Uh, Article there for you. What the crud is the man flu? It's the idea that the testosterone in men yeah. somehow inhibit our ability to fight off the flu. Yes. Whereas women can have, their their immune system is more robust against it because they're not <laughs> inhibited by testosterone. What a crock. That's the study coming out of Canada. <laughs> but now, I, mean, it's it, Canadian, I like it. It's Canadian science, so we yeah. got to go with caution here, but. Yeah. I like, I mean, I like the theory. That we're just wusses because of our testosterone. Yeah, yeah. But we're inhibited by I our manliness. I now have just had two days <laughs> of wussiness. Yeah. Because it's sinus. It, it wouldn't. Colds don't ever bother me, but sinuses. That's bad. Mm-hmm. That's like putting a fishing hook up your nose and then tugging on it. Oh wow! That's Whoa, what it feels. Very like. descriptive. Thank well, you. Thank just, you. I've been thinking a lot about yeah. that. <laughs> just cough and hack and wheeze as much as you want. That's what this glass is set up for. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my little screen guard's on my my yeah. uh, microphone for. Well, it's good to be back. Thanks. Uh, boy, I leave for a couple days and things just fall apart here. No. Well, I mean, I get lots of memos. <laughs> you got one memo. I get a memo every five minutes. Wow. Here's the interesting part. We had two adventurous conversations uh-huh. with Sports Nation. They were great conversations. And then last night I get a text saying, no crosstalk today. <gasps> They've canceled crosstalk from for Ben today. Bagley. Yes, they have an interview. I'm using air, air quotes, quotes yeah. on interview. Whoa. I understand. Yeah, I understand. I I see how it is. It means we've got to do a lot more work. Um, boy, and I miss the Roy Moore discussion. Not really. It's ongoing. He has yet to concede. I know he's not going to concede. He won't do it. Why would you? He put out a five minute video last night that I watched just to get a reaction of my wife. What do you think? She's of- all, oh, turn it off. <laughs> I, honestly. Greatest moment, I think, in uh, political television history, I mean, in the last really? year, hmm. Roy Moore pulling up on Sassy, his horse. Apparently, people who ride horses yeah. were not happy with his- Not impressed with his um, style? His skills. One, one, he doesn't wear his hat correctly. Oh. It's like he just took a hat out and put it on his head, not like someone who actually wears a cowboy hat would yeah. wear a hat. Yeah, he yeah, wears yeah. it too high on his head. Yeah. And then the way he rides a horse, uh, his hands on the reins demonstrate he has no idea what he's doing. Mm. Yeah. He's like he's like a little kid, first time, holding on for dear life. It as, reminded me of as, Putin. As sassy <laughs> delivers him to the polls. I was that just going to ask, did he go shirtless? No. Oh, no, thank goodness. But, um, and his clothes were very clean for a cowboy. <laughs> That was uh, that was quite a that was quite a victory. I mean, that they pulled well, that out. That they'll hold for three years and then a Republican yeah. will steamroll. Yeah. the Democrat. But still, but you know, unless he votes it's something Republican, unless he flips like the last Democrat to be elected in '92, it's um, I, I've missed a lot. I feel like I, I was just home. By the way, I couldn't even watch the news. I couldn't keep my eyes open. Mm. Because have you ever like had your sinuses so so impacted that was it the light that hurt everything? You? Yeah. I just couldn't open my it's eyes. It's been overcast for quite a while. I'd walk around with one eye open. 
Which, by the way, never trust a man with one eye open. You just look like Popeye when you did that. Arr. He only had one eye open. Hey, speaking of one eye open, um, Mega Merger. Mega Merger, I mean. Do you think, what do you think about Disney, 21st Century Fox, a little merger? We Rupert got Murdoch. Terry and Sean's take on this the other day. You missed that as well. What, uh, what's, the, what's the outcome? Well, first off, Comcast backed out the other day. They were they were kind of in sort of the discussion, but then they made it. We're we're, we're moving away from being involved in these talks, which I think America wanted. I think yeah. the voice of America was heard. Comcast, leave it alone. Well, Comcast, stay out of it. Nobody wants you involved in this. We Disney don't want our cable needs this company, property. Right. I would prefer Disney did not get a hold of this property, but we can. I mean, I don't have to go into that. But is it going to change uh, Fox News? No, because they're not part of the deal. Oh, oh, they're not. Nope. Just, Fox, just the rest of the movie Fox, side. Fox Sports, Wall Street Journal. They're all on. This their is own. about movie and TV. What about Fox Mulder? I think that's different. He's on oh, Fox okay. TV, so he'll be. Oh. Yeah. This is it's whatever it is. It's big. And it's today, big. by the way, speaking of big net neutrality. Yep. Uh, we've missed. I feel like I've missed everything. Not yet. It's all happening today. Well, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? When Director of National Intelligence James R. Clapper Jr., CIA Director John Brennan, and FBI Director James B. Comey, I like how they use all their middle names here, all went to see Donald Trump together during the presidential transition, they told him conclusively that they had, quote, captured Putin's specific instructions on the operation to hack the 2016 presidential election, according to a report in the Washington Post this morning. The intel bosses were worried that he would explode, but Trump remained calm during the carefully choreographed meeting. He was affable, courteous, complimentary. I don't know if those words have ever huh. been used to wow. discuss really? President Trump. Clappers told the Post. Comey stayed behind afterwards to tell the president-elect about the controversial Steele dossier, however, <laughs> that the private meeting may have been responsible for the animosity that would eventually lead to Trump firing the director of the FBI. Now, this is interesting, seeing that uh, for months afterwards, Trump really wasn't convinced nah. that this even happened. But he has the three intel bosses sitting there saying, we have conclusive proof. But but what do they know? <laughs> Other they're than the conclusive the, proof. Yeah, they're just the intel bosses. It's just CIA, National Intelligence, yeah. and the FBI. Yeah, yeah. Eh. right. I mean. But, you know, it's all fake news, right? Right. All right. So, and, and clap... And, so not only do they have the story. <laughs> he didn't so want you, to say his name again. He you didn't. can call it fake, but James Clapper is there yeah. quoting to the uh, post this happened. Yeah. But he was appointed by Obama, so it's all, yeah. it's all fake news. The SEC expected to vote to repeal the equal opportunity laws today. Net neutrality rules instituted by former President Barack Obama banned the Internet service providers from blocking or degrading online content as well as forbade these services from taking money to create, quote, fast lanes for lawful material. Republican FCC Chairman Ajit Pai has disputed claims that scrapping mm. net neutrality would result in internet service providers dictating web traffic, telling Marketplace on Wednesday that repeal means better, faster, cheaper right. internet access. There's right. no proof of any of that. Uh, so let me get this straight. Yeah, go ahead. So President Obama put uh, the, the, net, the net neutrality law, I guess, into place. That it would make it so they couldn't throttle the internet. Yes. Well, through his administration. Through his sure. administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, through the FCC. Mm -hmm. And um, now President Trump is going to repeal that yes. decision 
so that now big cable companies, big internet providers can now charge more, categorize payments, throttle, if put they, you in a fast lane or a slow lane, if depending. They wa- if they want to. Yeah, if they want to. It's, it's but now, they wouldn't want to because that would be rude. So the rules now make that impossible, but now they're releasing the rules saying no one's ever tried to do this, so why should we have a law to stop it? Yeah. Hmm. Why don't we Hold wait on. till someone does something, then we'll stop it then. Well, no, I think if you've ever, you know, wondered why your internet system doesn't yeah. work as well in the evening. Every day. Yeah, or every day. It's because someone's throttling it. Right. Nothing, nobody wants to be throttled. So, the FCC's plan to repeal net neutrality deeply unpopular. Wednesday, 18 state attorney generals wrote a letter to Pi asking him to delay the vote to allow time to investigate complaints about the FCC's public comment process on net neutrality. During the comment period, more than 2 million online comments were reportedly made using stolen or fake IDs. Ah, so none of that was real. Most in favor of repeal. Yeah. And it, it in a, those, by the way, blue states. Right. And in a new poll, 83% of voters, including 75% of Republicans, favor keeping current net neutrality rules. This will change. Yeah. If you listen to any interview with Ajit Pai, he goes, oh, it's it, it'll come down to the last moments. We'll be thinking about this walking into the room. No, you, no, change, you, you know what you you're changed doing. this 11 months ago when, come on. when you were appointed. So. Um, <sighs> on Tuesday, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson extended an olive branch, or at least an olive twig, to North Korea, saying the U.S. was willing to have talks with North Korea without preconditions. Predictably, Tillerson's optimism was undercut just a day later by the White House, in keeping with the year-long pattern of President Trump disregarding statements made by his Secretary of State. Given North Korea's most recent missile test, clearly right now is not the time for negotiations, a White House spokesman said. Uh, Last month, Trump told South Korea's parliament that he would not negotiate with Kim Jong-un unless North Korean leaders ceased their threats and dismantled their weapons program. Tillerson did say the U.S. needed a period of quiet before coming to a negotiation table. On Tuesday, he invited North Korea to talk any time, breaking the longstanding U.S. policy of opening the diplomatic door even if North Korea does not give up its weapons program. Mm. So he's saying, let's move forward with this. Well, let's just talk. Yeah, yeah. He goes, if you want to talk about the, the shape of the table, we'll do that. Let's just talk. And then <laughs> the White House is like, we don't want to talk. No, yeah. We don't talk to strangers. What so, is that, mahogany? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. So, yeah, that was an interesting situation. You missed that this week. Yeah, I totally did. More Where things matter. And this morning, as we talked about, Walt Disney Company agreed to buy several parts of 21st Century Fox acquiring significant chunk of Rupert Murdoch's empire in a $52.4 billion stock transaction. As part wow. of the deal, Disney CEO and Chairman Robert Iger has agreed to put off his planned retirement until 2021. You know, to yeah. ensure a smooth transition. The deal is expected to have massive ramifications for the film and television industry. Disney is buying the 20th Century Fox movie and television studios, Ooh. including shows like The Simpsons and Empire, as well as Fox Searchlight. <gasps> 22 cable de- uh, networks dedicated to sports, so like Fox Sports Cincinnati, wow. Fox Sports Southwest, all those networks, they're all going to go Disney to ESPN. Oh, part of the Disney. So ESPN is looking like, wow, we just got 22 regional networks. Hold on, isn't ESPN the one firing everyone? Well, yeah, I mean, they're reducing staff, oh, okay. but these these are basically drone networks anyways. Yeah. They, they kind of go dead during the day. Fox, uh, they have a huge uh, majority stake in Hulu. So Who? that'll Hulu. So Who? that'll go to Disney as they're looking Holy to put their God, streaming network together. Hulu. They're putting a streaming network out in 2019. So now Hulu 
will be under the Somebody's got to put a stop to Disney. Major cable networks at stake in overseas television providers. The move, the move is expected to bolster Disney's coming streaming service, which uh, is thought to more directly rival Netflix. The agreement does not include News Corp properties such as Fox News, Fox Sports, and the Wall Street Journal. And above all, it will unite the Avengers. Oh, my heavens. And the X-Men. You brought your book in. I just handed Matt the 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 collection of comics that made up the Avengers versus X Men 2012 extravaganza that they made into. You Have know, you comics. read this thing? Absolutely, um, a couple times, uh, and it's a wonderful story. I think it's heartwarming. Hold it. Huh? I, I say read. I mean, there's only like. <clears throat> 500 words in the whole I know, 500 look page at the book. art. Look you at that art. You can tell he's read it. The pages are tattered and mm. torn. It, it's a comic book. It's Scrathoom. great. Scrathoom. Scrathoom. Hey, I'm going to quote Jeff Goldblum here from Jurassic Park. Okay. These Disney executives were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, nobody stopped to think if they should. Mm. Well, actually, a really good question. Point. They, they thought about it and went, yeah, we should yeah. do this. I mean, now Bart, this is what's so great. Homer and Bart will now be walking around Disneyland. Yeah. They'll have Simpsonland. Oh! Won't that be weird? Yeah. It seems like a degradation of the brand. Well, not really. I mean, a, a deepening and a widening for sure. They're getting a TV show that's been on for 20 plus years and yeah. people love. I mean, oh, yeah. Come on. So you're going to be watching the, what's it called? The Electric Parade. Yeah. And there's Homer <laughs> just walking down the street. You just know the Simpsons will take more of a jab at Disney now. Flack! Yeah. What Sorry, I'm just reading the I'm just reading the Avengers book. It's I thought great. that was more Batman. Snicked. It's great reading. Crash. Kerplow. This yeah, really. Um, so they're going to unite all these titles. The are we going to see movies about all of this? Of yes, course you absolutely. will. Of course. Fush. Uh, they're going to put all this together. They have to recast Wolverine, but they have everybody else. Oh, they're is Wolverine part of this clan? He's an X Men. I. Didn't you know this? Haven't you seen the movies? Mm-mm. Yeah, I have, but I don't understand them. Yeah, I understand. The guy's got blades on his hands. Pretty cool, huh? Not really. Really? Can you imagine just trying to drive with those on? Right. That's why he's so angry. That's exactly. And the lamb chop. Well, that, that and the Canadian government pumped him full of metal that all around his skeleton and makes him really heavy. The Canadians, Canadians would never do that. No, they did. Yeah, they the, did. They it's did. the Weapon X program. Come on. Mm. The Canadians, they act all He has an nice, adamantium like, skeleton. It's they're crazy. creating a lot of Wolverines. Is that what they're called? They were trying to, yeah, and they only got one out because he destroyed the uh, entire research project. Do you know how many, do you know how many uh, small budget or independent films could be made uh, for how much it costs to make one of these Seven. Marvel mm. movies? Seven. No. Do you know how Probably many of those, about 250 of them. Do you know how many of those small budget or independent films I want to watch? Hey. Zero. Good point. I Let want me give to watch the X-Men and Avengers. That's what I want right there. The movie Get Out was made for, what, $4 million? Sure. And it made well over $100 million. It's amazing. I'm going to give you numbers. Do you know where I went to see that? Nowhere. Oh, that's rude. It's true, though. I don't care. <laughs> um. What? I, you know, this is what I missed when I was gone for two days. You two you fighting mean? about four and a half X-Men. million dollar budget. Yeah, it made two hundred fifty four million dollars. Wow, get out! the The other element I heard this morning: the original three, yeah. which would have been what four, five, and six of the Star Wars trilogy, Star Wars movies, yeah. is owned by Twenty First Century Fox. So they've picked up even more. So they've picked up the total rights. 
to the so, whole Star Wars. So let franchise, me get this straight: not at just the, the electric uh, parade, yeah, you will have Lord Vader, yep, Luke Skywalker, Absolutely. Homer, yep, and uh, Fox Marge. Mulder. Don't Fox forget Fox Mulder. Mulder. That robot from the Fox NFL uh, programs. Well, I forget what his name is. Remember when they go to commercial and they have a robot that kind of dances around? Oh yeah, he'll be out oh, there. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. It just seems like you know what happened to Cinderella. Well, she'll be she'll be there too. Well, how what's she going to look like next to Lord Vader? Well, yeah, and Homer. Hmm. I mean, really, it Disney's More. become just you know what? It's just like the, well, the other problem is this has to be approved, right? So it's got to go through government regulation. It's going through Trump's approval team. Well, it's easy because Rupert Murdoch's involved, and he calls the president like two or three hey, times Donnie. a week. So you go, hey, we're just going to make this deal go through, and he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Wow. Why? Because I think the president wants to see X-Men versus Avengers. I honestly don't think the president I don't knows. think he doesn't watch movies. You're no. right. He's watching the <laughs> He's watching his Twitter feed. But isn't this a heavy Oh, it's heavy. Heavy comic heavy. book. Heavy. I mean, it's, and it's the neat full thing, of now I know why pages. you like it so much. What's that? Well, there's about 5 words per page. No, there's more than that. I love that, too, because it gives you such a sense of accomplishment. It's a oh, fake yeah. sense of accomplishment, but you feel like you're reading yeah. a lot. I like it, too, because I feel better than people that read that. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Why could you? I mean, Maybe it's my meds. Maybe it's my uh, NyQuil and DayQuil. And by the way, what's Quill? Have you mixed the NyQuil? You're not supposed to do that. I had the best night's Quil- sleep ever it, last night. Is it Quilludes? No. That's different. Mm. That's different. That's something else. I slept like a drooling baby last night. It looks like Mr. America's put on some weight. He's a little, little, little Captain big. Captain America. He's thick. Yeah. He's big boned. Yeah. Um, uh, today we're going to be, um, by the way, hour number two, we're going to talk about why you shouldn't frame your, your identity through, you know, by focusing on your body. It's a really awesome interview we'll be doing then. Um, you're not going to want to miss it with Lindsay Kite. Uh, but up next, we, we, well, we've still got more to do, but the next guest, we're going to be talking about spirituality and science, which I, I think you guys need. I leave for just one, two days, and all of a sudden, I'm getting memos left and right about you two. Oh, well. Man. Make your mark when you can. It was yeah. mainly just about me. Yeah, it was just about Jeff. You no. don't have to throw Terry under the bus. No one's concerned about my level of work. <laughs> Jeff got in so much trouble. Um, did you hear about what's going on? Oh, holy cow. This was actually incredible. And we'll put it up on our Twitter page. Millions of crabs are taking over um, a street on Christmas Island. Yeah, it's a yearly migration. Millions of crabs just walking from the water up the beach, cross the road to Grandma's house. Sounds like a joke. No, it is honestly. How many crabs does it take to make it to Grandma's house on Christmas Eve? And so Google Google Street View, they've got one of their Google cameras strapped to some guy's back, and he's going to go walk through the forest as this migration is happening. He's going to get pinched. Yeah, this is this guy. I hope he's getting extra pay. He's going to get grankles. You got grankles a different way. This no. is how he's going to get grankles. Don't be rude about my ankles. I got Nana's ankles. Dainty and delicate. Nankles? Nankles. 50 million crabs on Crab Island making the migration. And it would be terrifying, honestly. If you fell, if you tripped, if you were unconscious, you'd be, you know, a crab, a crabby cake. 
How'd you like to spend Christmas on <laughs> Crab Island? It's Christmas Island, I think. Oh. Did you miss that? Um, not particularly. By the way, you guys may not know this um, because you don't – you didn't get to listen to uh, the the – what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Rob Stein, Goldstein. Who's the guy that's um, this, the second in the Department of Justice? Yeah, Goldstein. Goldstein. Yeah. I listened to some of his hearings yesterday. I couldn't – Huh? That's it. I couldn't change the – channel because I couldn't open my eyes to find my remote. And but you know what I'm noticing? You guys may not have noticed this. The Congress is really partisan. No. Yeah. No, I think no, I are. think you're up in the night. No. It's not right. And it's like It's, it's your medicine talking again. The Democrats are bringing up um you know all of the the sexual harassment cases and shouldn't the Department of Justice be doing something about it especially when the president is, you know. So that came up in the hearing. This is all a hearing about Mueller, I guess. And the Republicans were all – No, this was his annual – he's the oh, second in charge annual. of – what is it? The Department of Justice? Justice, yeah. And so he's the number two to Jeff Sessions, yeah. the attorney general. And this is the annual reporting of what they're doing. And, and so every question was so partisan. Every, the Republicans were still talking about Hillary Clinton and um, WikiLeaks and whatever. Um, anyway, it, it's really no wonder nothing's getting done. Except they would claim things are getting done. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we have a tax bill that will be out soon. And by the way, if you haven't – Deeply unpopular, by the way. Have you done the tax calculator yet? Mm. CNN has a tax calculator and you enter in all your data and then you can see how this bill will affect you. And then you really? get 15 mm-hmm. magazine subscriptions after you enter all yeah. your data. Wait a minute. It's coming from CNN? Yeah. Fake news. Mm, never mind. <laughs> Not interested. Fake news. CNN does a great job. They're out there changing – the world and and all that, but you might want to go find out and study a little bit more about taxes because it's, it's going to impact people. I'll wait until they vote, then I'll study because <laughs> there's really nothing I can do before that. Oh, right? come on! Right? See, that's what we're trying to prevent. No, there's a lot you can do. A lot. <sighs> okay, I'm winded. I'm winded. Hey, up next, we're going to be revisiting an interview with Anthony Jack about spirituality and science. Can the two go together? This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Many of life's decisions require serious consideration. Some choose to make decisions based on gut instinct, a feeling, or inspiration from some divine or spiritual belief. Others prefer cold, hard facts, deductive reasoning, and more scientific approach. Scientific and spiritual approaches can often collide head-to-head. It is possible that the conflict between the two is actually rooted in our brains. A few months back, I spoke with Dr. Anthony Jack, who's an associate professor of philosophy at Case Western Reserve University. He co-authored the recent study, Why Do You Believe in God? Relationships Between Religious Belief, Analytic Thinking, Mentalizing, and Moral Concern. I begin the interview by discussing the battle between the objective and the intuitive. I think it has, and and indeed the spiritual. I mean, we know that in all societies, all cultures that have been charted through history, there has been some belief in the supernatural and religion 
of some form or another. Talk to us about your research. What what have you been learning about um, you know analytical reasoning and moral reasoning? Well, I really like the frame you used at the start about whether they're going to collide or um, whether they can come together. I think that what we see in the brain um, is, is gives us a little bit of insight into that. Um, and, and as a basic take-home, I would say that they're never really going to be synthesized with each other, these two points of view. They are at odds, huh? But they – well, but that's, that's – I'm not quite sure they're at odds because actually I think they can live – quite happily with each other. Hmm. Um, so we can have a happy marriage, I think. Yeah, good. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because we know that there's the, the network architecture of the brain is such that when you engage the type of uh, brain areas, the whole network of brain areas that are involved in this logical scientific approach to thinking, you actually turn off the brain areas that are important for thinking about your own emotions, for empathizing, and for moral decision-making. Huh. And then vice versa, when you, when you turn on the other set, when you, when you turn on the um, sort of ethical and social-emotional thinking areas, you turn off the analytic thinking areas. And I think that's actually telling us that the brain is organized in such a way that um, these two don't need to interfere with each other, and they can operate independently. Um, so they, but they need to swap off on each other. And I think some of the cases where we see conflict is when people are trying to overreach with one type of thinking. So they're trying to apply analytic thinking to interpersonal relationships. And that's not really a healthy thing to do. And or vice versa, they're trying to apply a sort of spiritual way of thinking about the world to understanding the actual physical structure of the world. Um, which, which I also think is an overreach, um, that, but maybe the religious side is more guilty of. And really, you're saying they, they actually, these different networks shut down. It's, so they're never really in play simultaneously. Well, it's not that they're never in play, but when they are in play simultaneously, they seem to be supporting yet another type of thinking. Um, so and that it appears that we have a lot of evidence that the pure types of analytic thinking and purely connecting with other people gets interfered with if you have the other network active. But sometimes, say when you're dealing with people um, interpersonally, but in a situation that isn't really directly and just completely connecting with them, say when you're um, thinking politically, if you like, or dealing with someone with whom you have uh, conflicts and tension, then we see these two brain networks come up together to help to try to resolve that kind of situation. Hmm. Is it was this a surprise finding for you in your research, or were you anticipating this? Well, sort of both. Um, I had come up with a theory that that this might be true, but I didn't really believe it. Um, <laughs> I, I I thought it would be um, it would sort of be too nice if it was true. So when the data came in from the big brain imaging study that we did, um, I, was, I was actually I first um, was getting everyone who was working me, with me in the lab to double check the data over and over <laughs> again because it was so strong I couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was surprising certainly. Um, I'd had a theoretical prediction but I didn't, I didn't think it would be so extensive. Is it uh, what, I mean, this also jives with, I guess, other uh you know, philosophical beliefs um, from Kant and others about th- that we kind of have t- duality or, or dual systems. Is that right? 
That is right, and I really owe this insight to a student of mine who now works with me in the lab. He's graduated. Um, I hadn't really read much of Immanuel Kant um, when I was doing this work, although it was inspired by some other philosophy. But then he took a course on Immanuel Kant, and he, was, he kept bringing these passages to me. And it turns out that Immanuel Kant had described there as being two types of reasoning that you could never completely bring together. And in fact, it's a key part of his philosophy that there's always some tension or contradiction between these two ways of thinking, which he called theoretical reason and practical reason. Hmm. And by practical reason, he meant the type of reasoning we need to use in our practical interpersonal affairs, the type of reasoning that guides ethical thought. Interesting. And then, so you were able, uh, with your study, to, to basically prove that out. Yeah, I wouldn't say every detail of Kant's philosophy, um, but yes, I mean, it, the correspondence, quite remarkable. What do we do with this knowledge now going forward? How, how is it going to impact, or how can we use it uh, as, as we're trying to deal with, I guess, real-life issues um, about even environment or our political you know, persuasions and issues when we have these weird battles that, that uh, you know, uh, evolution and other battles that bring up a spiritual view versus a kind of a more theoretical, logical view? Um, it's a great question, and it's very much the direction um, where we're uh, interested in going in. So now we're, um, we're looking at how the trade-off between these brain networks applies to um, being effective at managing. So uh, most managers have, um, uh, I mean, they have an awful lot of um, responsibilities, but they need to be on top of the analytic task performance aspects of, um, of, of, the, of the business, um, balance the budget. Um, but they also are managers, and they need to deal um, with, with the people who are working for them as well as perhaps clients. So there are two different sorts of skills here that need to be deployed that we know come from these two different networks. And um, I'm, I'm in a collaboration now with a wonderful organizational behavior researcher who um, we have here at Case. We have a, a leading department of that. And um, so we've written a couple of papers now about applying that and how insights from this can be used to help people um, manage themselves and others better. Hmm. You, in your research, I, I think you evaluated 500 plus 600 people, right? Um, I think it was over a thousand. Oh, was it a thousand? Numbers right with me. Did, um, did, did you find people that, that really could only use one of those uh, analytical systems, that they were either kind of predominantly spiritual and not as analytical or more analytical and not as spiritual? We certainly do see people on the extremes, um, and um, because we, were so, we weren't sampling people from a clinical population, we didn't set, tend to see the most extreme profiles. Right. But one of the things that guided this whole theoretical development is that there are individuals who have very poor analytic skills but are very interpersonally warm. Uh, Williams syndrome um, seems to um, be one a sort of profile similar to that, to some degree Down syndrome. Um, and then at the other extreme, um, you can have um, uh, very smart people, indeed very analytically clever, who really have, have very, very little capability for empathy. And this is uh, the scientific definition of a psychopath. Wow. 
Interesting. Now, <laughs> now, these, now, I should stress that we can have pro-social psychopaths. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I actually got a very amusing email the other day from a neuroscientist who was writing to me, a neuroscientist who had discovered that he was himself a psychopath, um, not a criminal psychopath, but mm. someone who really felt no empathy, very analytic, analytically smart. Um, uh, so he was emailing <laughs> me because he was... He was saying, "Oh, well, that makes sense. That, that your findings." He figured um, it, he figured himself out through the process. Yeah, Interesting. Yes. So, so empathy then you're finding is a major part of this spiritual approach. That um, is actually something that's been shown to some degree or another in many studies. Okay. Um, and and which we indeed we actually compared it directly with the analytic thinking. That was. Um, what we did in this study, and I think um, I think it is quite clear that there is um, an association um, between spirituality um, and religious belief and empathy. That there is also, it's also been shown that the more surface appearance of religion does not necessarily go with empathy. So the fact that you go to church and that you hang out in church social groups doesn't mean that you have more empathy. It's actually more specifically that you. How you believe and that you have these spiritual feelings that, that goes with empathy. Yeah. Is it um, – yeah, we've heard research lately too with Lisa Miller from Columbia uh, also just about the difference kind of between religiosity and spirituality. Two different ways of understanding um, a spiritual kind of way in our brain and another is more of an analytical, more of a science, uh, I guess, approach, data-oriented approach. Um, when, when you're saying when one turns on, the other turns off, uh, which allows you know one to I guess bloom and blossom, and then back and forth they kind of turn on and off when the other is on. And I guess what you're saying though too is the two the two work well together, just not simultaneously. Yes, that's that's very much the message um, that we we try and encourage, and as part of our management training is to say. Don't try and don't try and bring everything together. Realize that you need a different way of thinking, a different perspective to um, really understand one type of thing from um, from the other. So, you know, we, we we have these phrases in everyday language. You know, it's cold, detached, logical thinking, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then we have you know this stereotype of empathy as being somewhat fuzzy thinking. Um, so I, I think that we can see that those stereotypes that we all have really are played out. We, we can see the reason for it in the brain architecture. Right. Is there, is there a way that we, um, because they, they're not used simultaneously, is there a way that we can strengthen our ability, for example, to be maybe a spiritually focused person and uh, you know, a, a strong, open-minded, detached person when we need to? How do we strengthen our ability to do that? Well, good. I think this is a really important question because I think um, both in the main focus of a lot of education um, and in our culture more broadly, particularly with the um, the, the use of increasing use of technology, there's a there's a push towards being more and more analytic in how we're how we're thinking. And indeed, some of the um, sort of anti-religious individuals, the new atheists and the brights, are two big groups. Um, there, there is a sort of triumphalism about analytic thinking, this idea that we should use this naturalistic scientific worldview to apply to everything. But in fact, it's long been recognized in ethics that you, 
you can't get an ought from an is. That is, you're not going to get ethical, moral insight merely by studying facts. You have to add something extra, another dimension of understanding the um, interpersonal. Hmm. That's a great and, – and, and I guess so they – it's um, – yeah, they, they enhance each other. That's why, like, they that's can why I can enhance each other yeah. if they're used right. That's right. So, so we talk about the ability to switch appropriately for the right task um, and to trade off between these two ways of thinking so that we can have sort of a, a dynamic balance um, rather than trying to jam everything into the same story, which is where we, we really um, see, the, see the conflicts and problems um, come up. Yeah, in fact, it, you, you brought up leadership. Maybe this is a great leadership skill to be able to – if you're hearing too much just objective, cold, hard facts, great. Listen to it, but then also bring in a human point later that's, that's and, right. and balance well, I, the discussion of, of over my, time. Yes. Well, one of my roles – I mean I'm, I'm uh, in the Department of Philosophy but also the Departments of Psychology, Neuroscience, Neurology and Organizational <laughs> Behavior. You are everywhere. Um, yeah, I'm, I spread myself around. Um, but I'm also in this Inamori Center for International Center for Ethics and Excellence, which mm. is a fascinating center um, founded by um, Kazuo Inamori, who, um, who founded the Kyoto Prize and um, uh, has, has um, been, a, been long recognized as a, a very capable business leader in Japan. Um, and um, the, he, his philosophy... Um, melds very well with these findings. So we're very interested in ethical leadership, and we do think that um, leadership requires this trade-off between these two in general, and that you can see a lot of ethical failures, say Volkswagen was a recent example, where people were too stuck in analytic thinking and just failed to see the bigger picture mm-hmm. um, and realize, really lost, lost sight of their moral compass. Yeah. Um, and, and this does, I mean, it's happened uh, throughout history, and um, it's it's easy to do in a way if you if you don't recognize the importance of switching and making sure you also see things from the other p- perspective. Yeah, it's like we we break into teams and we dichotomize it, and so you're either in the data oriented, cold hard data, or you're in the squishy, touchy feely side. And the reality of a good life and business, I'm hearing, is both the blend. Yes. Oh, and maybe not always the blend in the moment, but the blend over time. Yes, absolutely. That's that's very much um, the message. Now, can kids? If I is there an inherent difference between um, the spiritual side of thinking and the scientific side of thinking in children? Is that something that if I focused on making sure I was growing both sides with my children, would they both grow? I guess short of somebody having some disorder. Yes, they should. And I mean, even if someone does have some disorder, there may be all the more reason to focus on getting yeah. both sides to, to, to grow. Um, I mean, we certainly know that early intervention in autism can have a, a wonderful ameliorative effect. Now, I should say I'm not an expert with children. Um, I have three, and it's enough of a struggle for me <laughs> to, um, to manage them. But we do have some interesting clues that children don't have quite the same network architecture that the adult does. And in fact, this dichotomy between these two networks is less present um, in pre-adolescence. And really? it really starts to take shape through adolescence. So um, I think it would take a little bit more for me to figure out yeah. exactly what implications that has for you know, early childhood education. How has um, it impacted your parenting, though? 
Does it? Does I, I mean? You know, it's fascinating research. It's it's it'd be interesting to see what it feels like or what you're doing when you bring it home. Uh, yes, um, yes. Well, I wasn't inviting that. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you were. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is. Well, this work has really uh, changed my perspective on the world. It's given me uh, more insight into recognizing these two different types of thinking, and that's something that I, I, I often changing how I frame things that happen. Um, you know, in the workplace. Um, and I think that it is tremendously important. One, one thing that I feel confident to say is that we must not just focus on STEM as being the totality of education. And I, there are some sort of rather politically motivated sort of statements that are sometimes made about education. Why teach people, you know, useless things? Why pay for the arts and humanities education? And um, I think this is really very unfortunate. It's a terrible disservice um, not to give people exposure to things that can help them make sense of their life and help them find a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm a big believer in the STEM subject. Right. I'm a scientist, but um, we do need some balance. Yeah, and it, I mean, and again, the, almost the thought that you don't have to dichotomize it. Your brain has the networks and the networks can grow and work. They just maybe not working simultaneously, but they're still working in you. I mean, again, like art can inform science and process and systems. It's powerful. That's very much what we see. And in fact, one of the most consistent signatures of virtually any mental disorder, everything from autism and schizophrenia, ADHD, depression, is that you're aren't switching so much huh. between these networks. So we, we see that um, as, as something that is occurring in many disorders. There's, there's details that are different in, the, in different disorders, but this switching um, is, is associated with high IQ and not switching clearly, not turning off the other network when you go into one of them. Is um, is often a sign that something's um, going a little awry. Oh, that's it. I mean, that's fascinating, and again, something that you can easily, I guess, with your children, you can help them switch just simply by asking a question. It seems like, right? Like a, a, a question that would lead them either to an analytical question or a question that might lead them to a deeper meaning. I think that's right. I think there's an awful lot we can do with framing um, mm. of of issues. Um, and and that's very relevant to, to, to ethical things, um, to ethical matters. But yes, one of the things we look at is um, this tendency to dehumanize others. When we, you start to see others of not, not really someone else who you're fully connecting with, maybe more like an object or an, or an animal that you have some distance from. And that dehumanizing can be very subtle cues can, can make us start doing this. And, and we see that dehumanizing... Uh, the neural signatures of it is really switching out of this empathetic network and into the analytic network. Hmm. So um, that can happen, and it can happen kind of pernicious, very subtly. You know, the, the, the way we talk about people can start to make us reframe how we respond to them. You know, it's very important because the moments when we fail to have empathy, when there's some block to our empathy, um, really... Um, we need to understand them better in our own lives and scientifically understand them better because they can have tremendously damaging effects socially. Mm. Yeah, no, you can see that. You're switching from an empathic spiritual response to a 
to a thing, a being, an, an, an analytical approach. Dr. Tony Jack, we appreciate you. Great work on your uh, work between the science brain and the spiritual brain. Keep it up. Right, uh, so we well. appreciate you so much. And that really, wow, fascinating, isn't it? We can balance it, folks. It just takes focus. I guess, again, moderation, moderate, moderate, moderate. Uh, again, Dr. Tony Jack, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Case Western Reserve University. You can find him, by the way, if you just go to TonyJack.org. Great, great uh, information on his website as well. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. It's time, uh, you know, Oreos, they've been at it forever, trying to... Oreo, we are... Yeah, that's a, I think that's a difference. So. Oreo. Yeah. Now you just brought into the listener's mind the scary flying monkeys. Actually, those are the guards that guard the Wicked Witch of the West know, but Palace. But when, when they're walking near the palace, doesn't that... Oh, those flying monkeys are creepy. Yeah. I agree. I mean... So we were talking Oreos and the many wonderful flavors that Oreo tries to put together for us. Uh, and Terry, when he's not reading Marvel magazines, sorry, he's talking Oreo goodness. Captain America's fighting the king of Atlantis. It's just a thing. I have a, I have a bet that he'll win. <clears throat> I don't think anyone really wins in this book. It's, no, it's I, a bigger I, story, way, a bigger You've never said theme. anything more profound in your life. There are no winners. I'm trying to in see that book. Where do I start with our Oreo onslaught, as we have to call this? Um, uh, Today's show calls them wacky new flavors. Really? So that's a little preview for you. We'll start with they did a um, a little stunt type promotional thing over the year. They had mystery Oreos. The package looked like Ooh, that. It was yeah. like a white package. It said mystery Oreo. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, and it was after they did a contest to have fans send in their, their flavor combos and see if they could put yeah. something together. I opened it up one time. It was like a thumbtack, a syringe, a couple now, of Band-Aids. No, that's, that's something else. You may mm. want to check where you got that. But uh, my <laughs> wife and I purchased those, and we ate them, and I said it sort of tasted like tricks cereal uh-huh. or like a... F- like a fruity, like a Fruit Loops, or maybe like an orange creamsicle. It was uh-huh. kind of gross, really. Yeah. Um, they said it's a Fruity Pebbles flavored Oreo. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I wasn't a fan. So when you pour milk on it, does it just instantly evaporate? It might. I'm not uh. sure. Um, but then they announced some other ones for the end of the year here. So we'll just run through them real quick. Chocolate hazelnut Oreos. Oh, um, they're going for the uh, it's Nutella. Nutella. The Nutella people. That, yeah. I mean, I can, that makes sense. So it's Nutella without the corporate sponsorship, basically. Yeah. Right, just hazelnut. But that, that would be, maybe it's chocolate. You can't. How do you go wrong with that? Right. So if they stay where their their strength is yeah. with chocolate, like we, we had a, uh, yesterday we were talking about hot cocoa. They have mm-hmm. a flavor hot cocoa. Mm. It's not bad. Because not bad. Because it's chocolate adjacent. Right, right, right. right. It's close enough. Uh, they have one called hot and spicy cinnamon. Hmm. Okay. It'll be out uh, January 1st. Um, Might as well just go for, like, sweet and sour pork at that point. <laughs> sweet and would sour. you try a sweet and sour pork Oreo? No. Well, I would always try sweet and sour pork anything. But an Oreo? Sure. So it's cinnamon candy flavor cream, uh, and then again, the black cookie. Uh. All right, so your normal Oreo yeah. cookie, yeah. and then inside you have the... 
a red, hot, spicy, cinnamon flavored cream. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, who knows? Come on, Oreo. Uh, let's see. What are the other ones here? Um, cherry cola flavored Oreos? Mm, Absolutely. Try that one. You think that would work? Yeah. Dip it in cherry cola. Pina colada flavored Oreos? Yeah. I could do that. They'd be non-alcoholic. Of Do course. you like pina coladas? Do and you getting like caught pina in the rain? Colada? Yeah, I love that. Getting caught in the rain. And the with final Oreos. one is kettle corn Oreos. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. So you got kettle corn, which is apparently you guys like cherry cola. Everyone mm-hmm. seems on yeah. board. Pina colada, give yeah. it, a, give it a shot. Yeah. What about fruity pebbles? No, no, you don't like that one. Uh, never did. Hot cinnamon spice. I try it. You try it? Yeah, I mean I, that. I mean, I could. That makes sense. That could be good. And hazelnut mm-hmm. sure. might be all right. You love how they put it in a jar, but it's there's no Nutella label on it. Right. It's a generic jar mm. of hazelnut chocolate spread. Hazelnuts were those were here on Earth before Nutella. Yeah, that's Just debatable. So you know. But if nobody knows I about think- it. How did it exist? I think they invented great them. Point. This is very philosophical. Great. Plus a, a great 80-year-old lady's name. <laughs> Hazelnut. Hazel, <laughs> Hazel, you nut. Hey, we'll continue the journey straight ahead to a little Coach's Corner, a little wrap-up of hour number one. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. A coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Sorry for the delay. Uh, Terry's showing me all of the great little uh, ditties on his Avengers book, which, let me just They're suggest, called panels? Yeah, sorry, panels. Comic book panels. They're important. Go ahead. It might be better that you just read a regular book someday, Terry. I, I read those also. I'm reading a great book about the Korean War. It's great. Mm. Lots of information. Sure. It's good. Good stuff. Well, um, See, how come neither of you ever get emails? Well, because we don't, say, we don't say what you say. We say different things. And likability matters. Yeah. Sorry, that was rude. I'm very likable. R- and rugged good looks. Oh, Thank you. Yeah. That's what my nana used to say. Oh, I thought you were saying I had rugged good looks. No. Oh. That's what I – anyway um, – We've learned a lot. I, I've learned to appreciate your health, appreciate your sinuses, appreciate your coworkers that fill in for you, even if when they fill in for you, you end up having to deal with a lot of HR issues after that. It's still totally, totally worth it. Um, anyway, we love doing the show and being with you. We've got uh, two more hours straight ahead. You're not going to want to miss next hour when we're going to be talking about the importance of your body image and having a, a body positivity, they're calling it, not a body obsession. Awesome, awesome insight straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, appreciate yourself and your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang, we're back together. All locked in a tight little box as I spread the flu. 
I yes, was you just are gonna, welcome. I was just going to say the last hour. I You've only been here for not very long, maybe an hour, uh, you know, because you go in and out some, yeah. sometimes. I, yeah. And uh, I think I'm already getting sick. No, yeah. You probably are. It's all a little nasal drip, post-nasal drip. Okay, but you realize if you get me sick, you have to come into work. Uh, I know. You've it's, already used <clears throat> up your sick days for like the next five years. No, I know. I'm, I'm on the edge. of I'm on the precipice of needing to use other time. That's what happens when you're just a sickly person. I think when you get rid of that many, they just dock your pay. They just say, okay, we'll just take your salary down a notch. Yeah. It's, it's no problem. Except the way, the way it's been going without me here, I think they're realizing that they just need to leave <laughs> me alone for a minute. Because if not, Jeff's going to come in and then we'll have to send memos to everybody. Wow. Sorry, Jeff. Jeff's getting a lot of attention lately. What is wrong with rocking the boat and keeping everybody on their toes? No, it's great. No, seriously. HR Nobody... just needs a little heads up so they can staff up for yeah. the increased okay. complaints. It'll be fine. Sure. Because well, they come in and the phones are ringing off the hook and they're like, oh, Jeff must be hosting today. <laughs> See, but that's the only time we get calls, right? <laughs> Excuse the cough there. Yeah. That's, no, that's not the only time we get calls. It's just well, the no, only time we get those Okay, I take it back. Calls. Every other day, it's, excuse me, is this the BYU library? <laughs> yeah, they don't say it like that. They do, trust me. Oh, do they? <laughs> we got a lot to cover today. Uh, we're going to talk about body image issues and mm. body perfection versus body obsession. And uh, wonderful, honestly, this is kind of a life-changing topic um, that you're, you will want your kids to hear. So if they're around or if you've ever worried about your body, not wanted to go swimming, not wanted to do something because you thought your body just didn't add up, you're going to want to hear our guest in a few minutes. Um, I mean, even guys, gals, everybody, everybody could have a problem that she's talking about. Uh, so Li Dr. Lindsay Kite will be joining us, who has a PhD and um, is really, it's pretty, have you seen, did you guys get to watch the... The TED Talk of hers? I did. It's amazing. And it really makes a really good point. We tend to make everything about our body image, how it looks, how we are. And I even did it the other day. I, I saw someone, hey, looking good. And I didn't mean it. I really did not. I, it was a phrase. I didn't actually evaluate how they looked. Right. Just you, just, uh, you just objectified them. That's I just fine. objectified them very yeah, quickly. It's, it's fine. It's fine. But meant nothing by it. It's a drive-by objectify. Oh, that sounds. See how that works. Drive by, objectify. <laughs> um, so we'll get to that fun, and I mean, but then you, it goes back to some of the things we've seen in the political world. Mm -hmm. People have made comments. Uh, President Trump objectifies some people. They say reporters, senators. Uh, then people Marco say Rubio. stuff about yeah. Trump's hands, and right? everybody's throwing something out there. But if he objectifies everyone, then he can't also discriminate. There's no discrimination there. No, no, he's he an indiscriminate objectifier. He's an e equal opportunity <laughs> He's an indiscriminate drive-by objectifier. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so we will be getting to all of that, uh, plus just more of the fallout um, from Roy Moore still not necessarily giving up that not at all. race yet. He he's, put out a five-minute campaign-style speech last night on YouTube. Yeah. He's I, not backing down. This is a fight. In well, the words of Sly Stallone, nothing is over. Right. He's still waiting for all the uh, absentee ballots, the... The uh, ballots from military personnel overseas, just every last man, woman, child in yeah. Alabama to vote. Which, and... which you know, I, I understand that because, you know, you're mad. Yeah. 
He's hoping it gets, but it, it, it'll go his way, and they can somehow trigger a recount. Yeah, I mean that could happen. No. Anywho, we'll get to all that fun stuff. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? President Trump's top briefing team has had to learn to work to avoid agitating the easily angered commander in chief when it comes to developments involving Russia because of his sensitivity to allegations of Moscow's collusion with his campaign. This, of course, in the Washington Post. Intelligence officials have had to work around matters involving Russia when briefing him, sometimes leaving him out of the loop in some cases to preserve peace in the high-level security meeting. Current and former officials reportedly told the Post. As a result, the president's daily intelligence update, known as the PDB, huh? the PD- president's daily briefing, oh, okay, yeah. is, uh, let's see, is specifically structured to avoid upsetting him. If you talk about Russian meddling interference that takes the, uh, the, uh, the briefing off the rails, a former senior U.S. intelligence official told The Post, advisors have even adopted a rule called the don't walk that last five and a half feet, <laughs> meaning that aides are told to avoid entering the Oval Office and giving the president a chance to erupt when an issue can be instead resolved by somebody else. Separately, the Post reports Trump's ears perk up during an FBI presentation about the two Russian compounds seized by the U.S. in 2016, as he said, (laughs) to be interested in the real estate potential from selling those sites. Yeah. Hey, I like that rule. The five and a half feet Yeah. Can we make that rule for our team? Just don't bother Matt. I think we've already made that rule. Nobody ever comes to see me anymore. Yeah, they all come talk to me. Is it because I have a cold? Hmm... A lot of it has to do with you're on a walk most of the time they're around. So Can I – I'll give you a hint. Sometimes I'm not walking. Well, yeah. It might have something to do with uh, one of our empty news stories. Oh, boy. And that a problem that you might have as well. Is it the man flu? No. Because I have that. Okay. In other news, with a win under their belt, Democratic leaders on Wednesday called on Republicans to slow down their attempt to push through their tax bill and wait to hold the vote until Doug Jones, the newly elected senator from Alabama, is seated. Republicans say they have reached a deal on the $1.5 trillion tax plan, which lowers the corporate tax rate down to 21% and the top individual tax rate from 396 to 37%. Senate Minority Majority Leader Chuck Sh- or Minority Leader Chuck Schumer warned Republicans that if a bill that heavily favors the wealthiest Americans goes through, there will be many more Alabamas in 2018. Oh, wow! Many, many more. He says the oh. suburb. He goes the suburbs are swinging back to us. Republicans who want the House and Senate to vote on a bill by the end of next week and said they are not slowing down. It's not clear when Jones will arrive in Washington. Alabama's Secretary of State said the soonest the election will be verified or certified is December 26th or 27th. Oh, wow. And if the Senate goes on break as scheduled on the 22nd of December, they're not expected back till January 3rd. Alabamans are probably standing there thinking, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with another Alabama? Yeah, that's rude. <laughs> that's rude. I like Alabama. Uh, and so in general to their question of don't, Hold the tax vote until Jones is seated. Mitch McConnell went, uh, no. Yeah, we're going to have to get this done. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and do this. Now, he can say that Alabama is represented. They have the, uh, duh, was it Strange? They have the they have an interim, <laughs> uh, I believe his name is Senator Strange. Luther Strange. Luther Strange. He's in that seat in a temporary status, but the seat is filled. It's not like it's empty. And Alabama's not represented, so he could go forward that direction. Yeah. Or go with who should be in the seat, the guy that was just elected to that office. I wonder if Jeff Sessions is mad that he ever did any of this. 
because he's probably wishing he could just stay in that seat. It was a good seat for him. And not have to deal with some of this other He won the last time, I think, by 30 points. Man. It's a pretty solid Republican seat. Now he's an SNL hit. (laughs) Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton on Wednesday appointed Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith to the U.S. Senate to replace Al Franken, who announced last week that he would step down in the aftermath of multiple sexual harassment allegations. First and foremost, I want to appoint the person who I believe will best represent the people of Minnesota in the United States Senate, Dayton said in a news conference. Smith, he said, will be a senator of whom all Minnesotans Mm -hmm. can be proud. Smith called it a great honor. She said, though I never anticipated this moment, I am resolved to do everything I can to move Minnesota forward. I will be a fierce advocate in the U.S. Senate for equity and fairness. If she's reelected. Well, I mean, she'll be in there for the remainder of the term, and then she says she'll run for re-election. Right, but she'll basically spend all this time running for re-election. Will she be as funny as he is? No, absolutely not. That's the really important thing. That's what we're losing as a country is the humor in these boring Senate-level hearings. Exactly. I bet you all the other senators, though, are just, ah, nobody that uh, is going to... Turn them into a YouTube video. Yes. But now there's like, I don't know who the next funniest guy in the Senate is. There really aren't any. I think it's Luther Strange, obviously. Really? Okay. So now he's like, ah, it's my big time. And he's the one that can, like, teleport people to different towns. No, that's that's Strange Love, I think, Doctor. No, Hmm. no. It's just Doctor Strange. Is Doctor Strange in your comic book Strange there? Love? Yes, he's in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find him. I had to work to find uh, – um, just forgot his name. The Archer. Oh. Uh, uh, Robin Hood? No. It's not Hawkeye, Yeah, is Hawkeye. It? Oh, it's Hawkeye. Okay. Sorry. I forgot his name. He's very misused. No, he's no, not no, even no, in no. the next Shh. Avenger movie. <gasps> he's in Avengers 4. What's wrong? My head's swelling. I'm sorry. We were having a discussion. You guys were talking about that Marvel stuff. Finally, banning cell phones in French schools was one of the promises made by Emmanuel Macron during his campaign Macron? to become president of France last spring. Six months after he won the election, the French president and his government are trying to enact the new measure for the start of the next school year in September 2018. Last Sunday, French education minister discussed the issue on French radio. We are working Working on the issue, and it can take different forms. He said, "You may need to, uh, what you may need a mobile phone, for example, for educational purposes, for emergency situations. So perhaps the phones can be confined somewhere inside the school. The measure will apply to all French students from the time they start school at age six up through roughly 15 years of age mm. when they go into high school. No mm. cell phones in school. Well, you know what? Good, good. Think about what we, we didn't even have calculators in school in my day." <laughs> No. They you weren't allowed. They gave up halfway through my educational yeah. experience. It was no calculator. Then, yeah, get the calculators out. Is there really any reason these kids should have their phones in school? What happened when we were going to school? If if somebody needed to get a hold of us, like really needed to get a hold of us, yeah. they'd just call the office. And the office would get you out of class. Right. You got rid of now with these cell phones. You got rid of your uh, just like, free passes just to like get out of class. Roy Moore did that, right? right he called right. the school and had that girl come out of calculus and. That's Come down the hall and he talked to her in the office. That wasn't really what I was Allegedly. looking for. <laughs> What's the story, right? She's he, like, hi, what are you doing? She's like, I'm in calculus. He was tutoring. Oh. He's he's No. He was a tutor. He was just on the phone trying to talk was to her. Was he us. a tutor or a suitor? Yeah, exactly. Mm. But yeah, Straight exactly ahead. the same thing. Um, yeah, that just <laughs> made my eye twinge. Don't know why. Hmm. So... Uh, 
I don't know. What's wrong? You seem indecisive, Matt. I am. My my head says yes, but mm. my nose and sinuses say no. Okay. About what? Should we should we talk more about should I just let Jeff do the empty news? Mm. Or should I should we go back to this man flu idea? Man flu. Because you think it's real. Cuz I mean the the stereotype is that men get sick. Yeah. And then we whine and complain. We're a bunch of but, babies. But women get sick and they just soldier on. Yeah. Right? The idea like who takes care of mom when she's sick? Well, no one. Mom just – mom right. takes care of everyone else. Mom just does her thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so as men, is this – do you buy this, this concept that testosterone is somehow affecting our ability to fight the flu virus? I would love to. Do you like the excuse? I love the excuse, but – I thought testosterone made us stronger, made us more able, more capable mm. of taking it. And just, but apparently it just makes us really infectious, weak little sicklings, <laughs> which to me, it demeans the man. It's like you said yesterday that, um, well, earlier today, you said of your sickness that you have been unable to focus even on television programming i can't even watch tv that's yeah. sick that's, that's a true sick. sickness my my phone i couldn't even watch netflix mm. because my phone on the lowest setting too bright was too bright this is the test that women could use in fact to know if you are genuinely sick or if you're just being a wimp turn yeah. on netflix yeah if you can't even watch netflix mm-hmm. you're really sick normally i'll pretend like i'm sick when i'm faking sick <clears throat> I'll fake it until they leave. Then when they leave, I'll just enjoy my shows. But like this Ferris time, Bueller. Yeah. But even when they left the room, I couldn't even open my eyes. But with this experience armed with this, this evidence research. from science, as a marriage counselor, Matt, yeah. you can talk with people who are thinking about marriage. And you could say, have you seen any evidence of their genetic integrity? <clears throat> wow. As the woman trying to think about, is this man the right person? You're like, the genetic integrity of this person. Have you seen this person is sick? It, is it genetic integrity or is it just testosterone? It's genetics, too. Because yeah. I think some people can can overpower their testosterone and just resist illness. But wouldn't that mean that then the person with the more testosterone, which many times is symbolized by the bald gentleman, mm. right? Right. Because they the, they have more testosterone because they've their hair is just – I mean – Testosterone grows more hair. Right. And so the higher levels of testosterone, the more body hair you have. Mm. So um, – and they wore out their, their, hair, their hair follicles. So how do you explain like Mr. Clean? He looks very manly. Yeah. But he but, has no hair. But apparently he's really probably sickly. Well, there's a reason he never takes his shirt off because it's just like one big mane of hair. <laughs> wow. See, this does That's get into gross. our next guest hey, about body image. I want to wow. know, was wow. it – your nose and your throat that was saying no to me doing the empty news or your head? Honestly, I can't tell the difference. It's all the same now. Hmm. It has taken me 30 minutes to just eat my vitamin C pill mm. to suck on it till it's disappearing. Wow. That's how weak I am right now. You're really struggling to just be here today. Yeah. We appreciate your sacrifice, man. Yeah, I felt bad for you guys. Mm. Well, that and then all the HR calls. Yeah, the HR emails. <laughs> it's really crazy. I felt like I got to get in and save my show. Jeff's going crazy. You, you wanted to know earlier, mm-hmm. why don't people visit me in my office? Yeah. I think I have an answer. Why? Let me just read you this story okay. first, yeah. okay? There's a, 
the police in India say that they've arrested a man whose smelly socks caused a dispute between him and fellow passengers oh, on boy. a bus. Yeah. Do you think this could be it? Oh, yeah, it might be. Okay. Yeah, I always take my shoes off. So they told uh, BBC that uh, they had lodged a complaint against Prakash Kumar, 27, for causing a public nuisance. Really? The incident occurred uh, en route to the capital, Delhi, after Mr. Kumar removed his shoes and socks. The stench from the socks was so bad that passengers asked Mr. Kumar to put them in his bag or throw them out. Yeah. But he already, he allegedly refused, sparking a heated argument and a steaming argument, I think is what they should have said. Don't say steaming. Passengers then forced the bus driver to pull over at a police station where the complaint was lodged Ah, uh, you know, smells bug me. I can handle pretty much anything. I can see anything. I can even, I can even touch any. Like I can grab anything because mm-hmm. I was an EMT and I grabbed a lot of stuff you don't normally touch. Sure, but don't make me smell it. Don't make me. Don't make me smell it. So I could probably even treat this guy's feet and. Whatever you have to do as an EMT to help this person, but do not make me smell it. What, why would, on earth wouldn't this guy, when he knew that he was offending people with his feet, because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, we keep doing what we're doing because we don't know we're being offensive. Yeah, that's what But you're... once it's very clearly established that you're being offensive, well, uh, that, well, shouldn't, then... you, shouldn't you uh, acquiesce? Well, then you're mad, right? Then you're mm. like, oh, please, why do they... Why do they always make it about? You know that? what they should have done. Somebody should have threatened to take away his Christmas gifts. Great point. Uh, this is a this is a problem in a lot of people's homes around Christmas time. Kids, knowing that they should be good for Santa, so that he'll bring them presents, they just uh, soldier on in their mm-hmm. their bad behavior anyway. Maybe, right. So may- what do you do? Maybe this is the job of uh, an elf on the shelf. Maybe the elf on the shelf Could should be. be doing more, you know, sock treating. Could be, um, but there actually is a hotline that you can call. Oh, really? If you're a parent, and uh, I believe we have one of their ads. Let's get to it. Santa's hotline, please hold. Whew. Things sure get busy here on the North Pole this time of year. Most of Santa's elves are working around the clock to finish making toys for all of the good boys and girls. But what about the boys and girls that aren't so good? Well, that's where I come in. From now until Christmas Eve, I'll be answering phones around the clock, taking calls from parents who'd like to report bad behavior. Here's a call I got earlier today. She won't eat a dinner, her room's a disaster, and she started calling me by my first name. So if your kids are acting up this year, call Santa's hotline at 1-888-BAD-KIDS. And ask for me, Fred. Here's another call. I better take this. Santa's Hotline, Fred speaking. Many women today do not like what they see when they look in the mirror. Self-objectification happens when women view themselves from an outside perspective 
and see only the flaws. By the way, I guess men and women can do the same thing. In fact, studies show that self-objectification can even negatively affect someone's mental and physical abilities. Joining us to talk about it is Dr. Lindsay Kite, co-founder of the nonprofit organization Beauty Redefined. And today she's here to talk with us about why body image needs to be redefined. And I think, honestly, just better understood. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. What a great, uh, what a great mission you and your your twin sister, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Twin sisters. You've you've gone all the way through PhD program together, huh? We did. Yeah, it wasn't our intention. We actually tried really hard to be different when we first got to college, <laughs> and it just didn't work. No. <laughs> so we've embraced it. Yeah, embrace it. Now you're just the 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 duo. It's like a crime fighting crew. Um, <laughs> but we we hear a lot about uh, sexual harassment and. I think um, what you're doing with body positivity and redefining our view of of what um, what our body is and how we should look at it and and be focused and, and grow our self worth, it I think it's so pivotal in all of these other discussions we're having about um, sexual harassment. Is isn't it? Doesn't it all kind of stem from a similar issue of objectifying our bodies? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely have been trying to push this message for a long time, and I'm so grateful to see it really become a hot topic in media today. Unfortunately, it's around some extremely negative circumstances right. for women, but absolutely, it all comes down to this issue that women are primarily valued for their bodies, whether that's their appearance, what their bodies can do for others, how they can be consumed and used and abused, um, even just visually. But when women are primarily judged by that, we learn to judge ourselves that way too. And so obviously, whether it's in the workplace or in media, in every realm you can imagine, women are being objectified and kind of just dismissed and minimized because of their appearance, um, whether they don't look good enough or they look so good that, you know, they deserve to to be pulled into somebody's office and, you know, abused in some way, mm. which we're hearing come to light more and more often. It's so and true. Unfortunately, women learn that if they are to be valued for their bodies above all else and to put so much emphasis into that, then they might also learn that they deserve those kinds of um, passes toward them or they deserve to be minimized and judged for those things. And it creates just this culture where objectification is the norm and it's invisible to us. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's so subtle, right? Because even the the teenage girl that is, like, you give examples of how you were on the swim team and uh, how mm-hmm. how you felt weird about getting in the water because you didn't love your body, and mm-hmm. e- even that is 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 part of this, and it's it's like a silent yeah. killer almost. Absolutely, it really affects every aspect of our lives. Whether that's your physical health, that definitely includes my own experience of quitting the swim team when I was 15 years old after swimming competitively for almost 10 years. I quit because I didn't want boys from my high school to see me in a swimsuit when they joined my PE class during school. And so from that point on, I kind of sat out. And girls start doing that at younger and younger ages now. As As their bodies start to change, especially during puberty, girls start dropping out of sports sitting on the sidelines in PE. They even stop raising their hands in class or going for student government offices, participating in activities. It's because they don't want to be looked at. So many of us are being judged for, you know, not looking good enough, not being thin enough, not having the right clothes or having acne or things like that that are actually really normal for most people, especially for growing girls. 
And when we learn to judge ourselves by those things, we end up self-objectifying to the extent that our focus is on our appearance more than it is on our happiness or our success or our fulfillment and even our, our relationships and the ways we contribute to the world and interact with the world. So this really puts women at a disadvantage. And we learn this from our own moms, from our sisters, um, not just from media that teaches us to be so focused on appearance and reaching these ideals that are so far out of reach for most of us, but from people all around us in real life because they've grown up with the same messages. Mm, it's interesting. I, I grew up in a house with four women. My parents divorced and with four women. And I think I even picked up some body image issues. Yeah. Like I don't even – I don't love swimming for a very similar reason. I don't want to go get yeah. in the pool. And and what's so funny is I've never understood it as, as, as how it would impact me in every other way. Like I might not even go mm-hmm. get in the pool and play with my kids because of that. Yeah, absolutely. This definitely has affected boys and men as well. And at increasingly growing rates, especially for young boys and men, um, it all comes back to this idea of objectification, because so many of us are taking an objectified view of our bodies and even our physical health. So for women, this objectified view of health primarily looks like being thinner. So we have these fitness messages coming from, you know, every realm in the world that's trying to promote health and fitness and in different ways, but they all look the same. They want your body to be as small as possible and as little body fat as possible. Not so much of an emphasis on strength for women or stamina or any of the things that actually improve your internal physical vitals and health. Um, for men, it's the same thing, but kind of flipped on its head. We, we see men with pressure to become larger, still with no body fat whatsoever. But the bigger the muscles, the more mm-hmm. sexually appealing men are told that they are. And this is still objectification because there is no focus on how you feel or what your body can do. One of the ways we can flip that around is to focus on your body as an instrument instead of an ornament. Yeah. That's one of those points I really tried to hit on in my TED Talk, where if we can consider our bodies as instruments for our own use rather than ornaments to be looked at for other people to view or even for ourselves to view from the outside, then we can really take that power back and and interact in this world in ways that are much more fulfilling and empowering than just making sure that we look good or that other people can see us in the process. And so I guess what I'm hearing you say is, and and some of the big movements for self uh, body image and self-esteem have been, you know, love your flaws, love your, love Mm -hmm. your stretch marks, love these parts of your body. But you're even saying, be careful of even that because you're still making Mm -hmm. you about your body. Totally. Yep. That has been one of the big issues that Lexi and I have been trying to promote through Beauty Redefined for the last several years. And honestly, we've gotten a ton of pushback for for trying to ask people to question this message. But we're doing this from a research standpoint. We earned our PhDs studying this to see what actually helps women to feel better about their bodies, what actually helps women to recognize when they're self-objectifying or monitoring their bodies constantly and holding them back from other things. And what doesn't help is to continue thinking about your body and whether or not it looks good in each moment. And that's what a lot of these um, viral ad campaigns and commercials and videos, even celebrities are coming out and people are becoming celebrities through their body positivity platforms. And they're pushing this message that, see, I look good even though I don't look like the ideal. And you look beautiful too. And you all should feel beautiful because you have the same belly rolls or stretch marks or, or whatever hmm. other thing is perceived as a flaw as I do. 
And this is something that, yeah, it is nice. And honestly, when I was a teenager, it would have been nice to see somebody who had a few flaws on their body in media because I was mostly watching Saved by the Bell and <laughs> right. other things that just had the most ideal-looking teenage girls you've ever seen in your life. And there's still a lot of that, but anyone in the world who wants to see normal-looking bodies has easy access to do that, whether it is through these body positivity um, models and promoters online or just any other realm of the internet. I'm not talking about pornography. Those are not real bodies for the most part. They have been modified dramatically, whether surgically or digitally. But it's, Um, it's, it's interesting. That's a, it's part of the same problem, this objectification problem that we have, and it leads into so many other issues. And then even psychological issues like people cutting on Mm -hmm. themselves and wanting to hurt themselves because, and by the way, what they're wanting to hurt is their body. Right. Yeah. It all stems from shame about their physical bodies. And that shame comes from a feeling that you are not right, that some part of you isn't normal or is not good enough. And we've all fed into that lie that there is a norm and that the norm is so different from what we are. And that makes sense because the images that we've all been surrounded by and the messages particularly about women's bodies, have been so uniform and so consistent over the last 20 years or so. And they've said that normal, healthy, attractive women are very thin. They're very tall. They're young, and they look young their entire lives, you know, even well into their 50s and 60s. They're usually white. They usually have very long, thick, flowing hair. And after we see those images all the time, and almost none of us look like that throughout our lives or even at one point in our lives, then we feel abnormal. And so we will, we feel that shame and shame drives people to do something. Everyone reacts to shame in some way. We talk about that shame and those feelings that come up through negative experiences as disruptions in your life. Hmm. And disruptions are a really important part of being able to recognize these negative messages that we've all internalized and respond in a better way. We found this through a theoretical model that my sister and I developed through our dissertations called Body Image Resilience. And through this process, if you go through a disruption and you go through some experience that makes you feel really crappy about your body, maybe someone makes a comment to you, or maybe you go swimming and just feel terrible while you're out there, you know, laying by the pool because you don't look like other people there. Or maybe you go through an illness or a breakup or a miscarriage. These types of things really make us question and feel negatively about our bodies, but we all have to respond to them. And so some people will sink deeper into shame because they are trying to cope with those those disruptions in harmful ways, like cutting, like you mentioned, which is just huge among young girls, especially. And it doesn't help anyone feel any better. So what Lexi and I are pushing is this ability to recognize your disruptions, to recognize those negative, harmful things we all go through because of the objectifying culture we live in, and to see them for what they are and face them head on, instead of hiding and fixing, instead of sinking deeper into shame with cutting or abuse of alcohol or drugs or other types of self-harm. We can face them head on like I did when I decided to start swimming again and use my body as an instrument to prove to myself that I was worth more than what I thought I looked like or what I was worried that other people thought I looked like. Because you because could... we all have that capacity within us. Oh, yeah. And you could spend... Um, you could recognize, you know, a disruption, which is, oh, I, do, I feel like, you know, I've had four babies and I feel like my body's not the same. Mm-hmm. So, but but what you're saying is, be careful what you do, because what you might do is start trying to hide it. So then it's yeah. just all about finding clothes that hide that disruption or that issue or fix it, mm-hmm. you know, and that might be surgery or whatever. 
But neither of those, hiding or fixing, doesn't actually help you cope with the real issue. No. I call the fire underneath all this smoke. Uh, It doesn't Mm -hmm. help you fix the real issue. Yeah, exactly. Those are so temporary. I've spent such a long time in my life, a, a teenager through most of my early college years, just trying to hide and fix. And that keeps us in a comfort zone that's actually really uncomfortable for most girls and women and increasingly more boys and men, where we just feel crappy about our bodies all the time. And that's normal and that's okay. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to just ease that over the surface, the surface and buy whatever makeup and products and clothes will make us feel okay for the moment. But that feeling is so fleeting because we are still in those moments being defined by how we think we look rather than how we feel and what we can do in these incredible, miraculous bodies that we all have, regardless of our ability level. We're kind of forgetting what a gift it is to have a body that works in any way. Oh, yeah. And if if we're so focused on the surface, then we miss out on big parts of our lives. You know, women don't run for office because they don't want to face the backlash about their physical appearance that every woman who runs for office gets. Women stop um, going out for community boards. Women stop pursuing healthy relationships because they feel like they should just accept whatever is given to them in either a crappy relationship or even um, a relationship where they're being abused. So many women feel that that's the best they can do, so they're going to stay there. You know, if he's willing to be with me, then I need to accept that. Wow. And so women are, are really being sold a crappy bill of goods. Yeah because they feel so negatively about their bodies. And that translates into their self-worth, not just their body image. And body teen... image has become something that is all-encompassing for women because we are defined by our bodies. Teen girls, you even say, uh, perform worse on math and reading comprehension. Oh, yeah. They can't throw a softball as hard when they're self-objectifying. Yeah. They don't run as far. They don't lift as heavy of weights. It's a yeah. huge disadvantage. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Lindsay Kite, uh, and she has a wonderful website, beautyredefined.org, which is an organization, uh, 501c3, trying to get the message out there for how we go about learning to, I guess, really love who we really are, which isn't our body. It's, it's, all, it's everything else. It's our mind, our spirit, our soul, our, our gifts, our talents, our abilities. It's so much more than this physical case that we carry around. Exactly. Yeah, there's a big risk to just worrying about feeling beautiful, which is, like you mentioned earlier, what so many of these viral campaigns are trying to get women to do. And I think for a moment, they do help women see that maybe they're more normal than they thought they were if they see bodies that look more like them. But there's still a lot of people who will never see a body that looks like theirs that's ever represented positively in media, even within the the popular body positivity movement, because that still represents some ideals of what even fuller figured bodies should look like and what's valuable. And so we really run a risk if we keep telling girls and women that they should feel good about themselves because you're all beautiful just the way you are. And every well-meaning person says that. And, and I think they really mean it or they want girls and women to believe it. But that's not fixing the problem when we're still thinking about our bodies, when we should be thinking about our schoolwork or our careers. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just walking down the street that day and making sure that we're safe. We need to be focused on how we interact with the world and what we can contribute to this world. We all know that there are so many problems that need to be fixed um, culturally and politically and in every aspect of, of this global community. And when women aren't fully able to participate, because either we're being left out because we're being undervalued and undermined and being solely judged based on how we look, or we are holding ourselves back because we are so fixated on our appearance and not feeling good enough 
that we don't want to put ourselves up for that judgment um, and for those opportunities, then the whole world is at a disadvantage. You know, some of these problems require women and men to work together to fix them. And the whole world is going to suffer if girls and women are continuously being defined and evaluated based on what they look like or what they can do for men based on um, their bodies, how they can Mm. be used and consumed and all of that. And I I think at the root of this, too, are other issues. I mean, we get caught up in race, in sexual preference, in gender identity, in Mm -hmm. health, in so many other things that also aren't fully who we are. It, there, there's yeah. there's something so pure, it seems like, behind the theory, uh, this body image resiliency theory. Um, and really, I guess what you're saying is it, it really is a shift of paradigm. It's a shift of mm-hmm. how we even frame the discussion. How, so what oh, yeah. do we do as parents? What do I do as uh, a parent of five boys, um, one daughter, a granddaughter, to make sure that I'm not contributing to the – to the status quo, the way we've always thought about yeah. this? Well, first of all, that's a great question to ask, because as long as we're asking questions like that, that means we are aware of the ways that we are passing on biases and passing on um, maybe some negative things that we've grown up believing about ourselves or about women and other people. Yeah. And so that's a great first step. I want everyone to question if they are holding on to anything that might be affecting their children. Um, one of the first ways to think about that is to, to really kind of question and recognize the biases and maybe the harmful or untrue beliefs that you've grown up with and you might be holding on to. One of those, I think, is that all bodies need to fit within certain ideals. We've all grown up, especially women, um, have grown up believing that our bodies need to look a certain way. And a lot of us have faced pressure from our moms and our grandmas to make sure we fall in line and uh, do whatever it takes to kind of stay within those those ideals, even if they don't seem that extreme. But that creates a real pressure because not all bodies are going to fit within those certain ideals that we all have. And so we need to be comfortable with body diversity. We really need to be okay with the idea that some bodies are going to be larger than others and some bodies are going to be smaller and that bodies change throughout our lives. Uh, Like you mentioned, women have babies. And here in Utah, where we're broadcasting from, women have more babies at the youngest ages than anywhere else. And so this creates a a real cultural dynamic where women are very concerned about their bodies from very young ages and receive a ton of cultural pressure to change those bodies or fix them. And I'm putting fix in air quotes because there's nothing to be fixed. That's a real myth that women's bodies are, are wrong after they have babies. Right. And so we need to question those ideals that we have for ourselves and also for our children. You know, a lot of there's a lot of stress, I think, around kids not having um, ideal body weights and sizes, even from the oh. time they're really young. What percentile and, are they in? I mean, I remember yeah, feeling actually exactly. dejected because my sons weren't in the higher percentile for height or weight and thinking, oh, boy, we're already behind. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so and it's because. There are, being, there are numbers placed on all of these little ideals. You know, I talk about how the body mass index oh, I hate that. is just one of the greatest myths ever perpetuated yeah. um, by the insurance industry and by the diet industry because it, it puts these strict numbers and categories around something that cannot be boiled down right. to those easy numbers. Well, and originally and it was only for men, right? Ineffective. Yeah. Right. It was only for men age 25 and white. <laughs> and so it basically white men. to no one age else. 20. Uh-huh. And the standards oh, have even geez. gotten more extreme since then for the BMI. And it's just so far out of what 
any doctor who's really looking at internal physical health could ever say is appropriate. So just be aware that bodies are going to look different and kids aren't supposed to really conform to those ideals until well after puberty because bodies change so rapidly in our youth. So if parents are putting these ideals on kids or even enforcing what maybe a a doctor who might not be doing the right thing says to someone about getting your kid on a diet or making sure your kid is, you know, restricting their calories or only eating certain food groups, that creates habits that will really hurt kids for the rest of their lives, boys and girls. Mm. Because dieting is a predictor of obesity later in life. Um, If we have kids on diets, then they're developing issues with food from the time they're really young. And we know those issues don't go away very easily for adults. So true. Moralizing food and body sizes. So yeah, just be aware of those predispositions you have to maybe think that certain body sizes are bad and certain body sizes are good and preferable at any cost. Because kids will go to great lengths and adults will go to great lengths to achieve those and they'll hurt themselves and they'll hurt their health in the process. So don't objectify health. Don't objectify the people in your lives by trying to define them according to appearance or numbers in any way. And let's focus on how we feel, what our bodies can do. Let's really achieve health and fitness by focusing on what we can do and how we can reach goals that have nothing to do with appearance and everything to do with what these incredible bodies can do and and how fast they can grow um, in stamina, in strength, in whatever it might be that actually contributes to our physical health in real ways. Such great advice. Lindsay Kite, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your insight. The name of the website, go check it out, beautyredefined.org, beautyredefined.org. And, Lindsay, we got to have you back. There's a million topics we can go into, and uh, I want to get this message out. Folks, that's why we're here, to help you uh, be the best you, to feel the best about you, so that you can do the good things you're meant on, to, to bring to this earth. This is the Matt Townsend Show. A little Coach's Corner up next. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball. Welcome back, my friends. Boy, oh boy, Lindsay nailed it. When we talk about objectifying ourselves, it it is so interesting to think that if I can just make it about my body, even our health, I mean, our health, how we measure it, how we objectify it, how we show what healthy looks like, it's always a hard body, right? It's always somebody in a gym. It's it's never about how that person feels or about your ability to go do more and be more. If you've ever felt a need to hide yourself, to hide your body, to hide your, um, you know, your your belly, whatever it is, it's it's an indicator. It's a sign. And it, you you know what it feels like to shrink. We can't be shrinking violets in this world. Otherwise, what ends up floating to the top are a bunch of people that have mastered the objectification of other people. And we can't allow that. And I think that's what we're seeing with uh, all of these famous people, all of these political leaders, all of these, uh, you know, supposed leaders of our world who really are now in trouble for just being great at objectifying one another or selling the objectification, you know, or even they can take a stand that it's bad to objectify somebody, but hey, make sure you buy my lip product that makes your lips even more plump and supple. Who cares? We are more than our bodies. We are more than even 
the thoughts behind all of our bodies. We are spiritual beings having a, hu- having a human experience. One of my favorite quotes on earth by Teilhard de Chardin, a Jesuit priest that said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. My friends, we are spiritual first and foremost. We've been spiritual beings before we got here. We will be spiritual beings after we're here. And we have spirit in us to guide us, to to lead us, and to help us make better decisions in our lives. We've got to figure out how to connect back into the spiritual side. And make it, and don't make it about everything else we make it about. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Oh, great. Now you have something to model me by? No, I'm a, I'm a child of God. Sorry. It's just what I am. Well, yeah, but are you black or are you white? Yeah, neither. Just a child of God. Male or female? <laughs> child of God. We're all something bigger. And as soon as we could recognize that in each other, then we can treat each other like children of God would treat children of God. I'm not trying to go all preachy on you, but it's real. And yet we, well, yeah, but your BMI says that you're, you're, you're obese. Oh, please. Great. How does that serve you? Well, because I, my BMI is lower than yours, so I just feel better about myself when I bring it up. I'm doing it for your health. Well, if you were doing it for my health, then try to somehow access my spirit too. Can you measure my spirit? Can you measure my sense of value? Can you measure what I feel? Can we talk about how I feel? Can we talk about what I'm able to do? And let's try to motivate me by what I can do and feel, not just my BMI. Anyway, not to rant on you, but please, let's figure it out, folks. There is something deep within each of us. And if we can tune into it, not just at Christmas, not just at Easter, not just once a week, when we go to a church or whatever, let's tune into it day in and day out, and we will start to solve some of the biggest issues of this world. I promise. A promise from Dr. Matt. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Yes, 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 friends. It's time to get back to the empty news with our empty news correspondent, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. So I bet you're wondering, what can I do to be less likely to have a heart attack? Because let's admit it, I mean, you're already so sick, you're lying down as it is. I could die right this second. Yeah. So do you want to know how you can decrease your chances of having a heart attack? Yes. I would love some advice. Maybe why don't you go... uh, Eat some cheese. Why don't you go eat some cheese? No, I wasn't. By the way, I love cheese. I eat cheese every day. Really? I love it. Do you eat... I'm a cheeseaholic. 40 grams or over three quarters of a pound of cheese every day? Maybe. What's it to you? <laughs> I'm not judging. No, I'm what, just, what, get, I want to know because, because uh, they're saying that if you people who eat 40 grams of cheese a day might be less likely to have a heart attack. Really? Yes. So listen to this. Uh, Let's see. Um, You can decrease heart disease by up to 14%. Wow. Reduce your chances of developing. We got to be careful because if we sit there and say, hey, go, hey, grab yourself some cheddar, grab yourself some cheddar, that might not make you healthy. This is coming from uh, Suchow University in China. Uh, Researchers have been evaluating 15 studies from Europe 
and the U.S., which tracked the diet and health outcomes of more than 200,000 people. So this is a great sample size. Yeah, it is. And they claim to have discovered that those who regularly eat cheese cut their chances of having a stroke by 10%. Wow. Researchers suggest that although it contains high levels of saturated fat, the calcium in cheese stops much of that fat being absorbed by the body. Yes. While simultaneously raising levels of good cholesterol. Did you know there was good cholesterol? I did. Mm? I did. But I I also know that I, I love cheese. And but I thought it was bad. Isn't that interesting? I'd even feel a little guilty for throwing back some cheese. Here's another word that uh, you might not have uh, that might not have a positive connotation, but it's also thought to contain an acid that can help prevent the clogging of arteries. Mm. So acid and cholesterol can decrease the chances of developing heart disease. It does a body good. Cheese. I love it. Uh, well, that's acid. great advice. We'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you change your life one curd at a time. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, recuperating from sinus infections. I don't know if they're infected. I don't think they are. Sinus cold. Congested. Sinus congestion. Or full of particulates. <laughs> maybe it's the maybe it's the air here. The overwhelming <laughs> pollution that's in the air, yes. Yeah. yeah apparently, right, apparently that's gonna lift next week. Yeah. This maybe then, even this weekend. And then come back with gusto. Oh, don't say gusto. We'll be sucked in. It's that's the problem, folks. We I, we live in a valley that is a big bowl, and hot air rises, cold air drops, I guess, and it holds in the nice pea soup. Mm. Doesn't the hot air rise everywhere, though? Yeah, but it, we live in a bowl. We live with mountains all around us, hmm. and yeah. it keeps them kind of trapped against the mountains. And that has made you sick. That and just general weak genetics. I'm going with that. And the fact that I have testosterone. Yeah, I, wouldn't man, man be, flu. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the listeners got sick. Why? I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you were so contagious that... He's that potent right now? Your wow. illness could go through the airwaves. No. no. And inflict everyone. I'm really not that... It's just... You know what it is? It's... Um, your sinuses are very delicate. So this cold, it's not... When I was a child, in a little town near Bethlehem. Wow. Uh, by the way, I have been to Bethlehem. Why did I think that when you? Because said... <laughs> little town of Bethlehem. Oh, okay. Um, but <laughs> like, when what's I was going to say Bethlehem. When I was uh, when I was young, I was very healthy. Never caught a cold ever, mm. which would actually tell you if you're an immunologist, apparently. Which we're not. Which we're not. That that would set me up for many colds later in my life. I was ne- I, ne- I was right. I was never sick as a child. I we, never. We was... have a certain number we're supposed to get. Well, no, but you if you don't up, have or... more infections early, you'll have you'll have oh. to eventually fight them off. You're sometime. Not, you're not building up antibiotics. Yeah. Antibodies. Antibodies. Yeah. And I, and I I deal with a lot of people. And honestly, I've had my grandchild in my home for the last week. Now she's oh, no. not with us. It's the children. It is the child plague. Yeah. And it was. Be- I mean, it was fun. And feet. we'd share a drink, and she'd say, "Papa Matt, can I have some of your juice?" 
Papa Matt? We, that's what she calls me. Wow. Like Papa Noel. Well, like it, Papa Smurf. I like Papa Noel. <laughs> but um, so, and I'd say, yeah, you can have some of my drink. And I'd give her my drink. And then she'd just get this little, I don't know what you call it, like a slurry, of a baby slurry. Yeah. That she would then backwash into my drink. Oh, yeah. Or my two-year-old nephew who looks at you and goes, hey, Uncle Terry. And then sneezes right in your face. Ooh. <laughs> and you have no time to react. You turn what? Oh, dude. Uh, you know the worst gross. the worst part about getting sick for the first time? What? That is the moment that you know you will never be like Bruce Willis's character in the film Unbreakable. You can never be that superhero. Huh? Haven't you seen that film? Yeah, but I don't remember it. I don't. Well, I've You're seen gonna it. need to become more familiar with it because yeah. There's the movie Split, mm. and now there's going to be another movie coming out called Glass. Yeah, yeah. And they're all connected in some way. I won't say how, but... Uh, Split? Mr. So his deal, his deal was that he huh. had never been sick. He was in a, a train accident at the beginning of the film. He was the sole survivor. Of course. Which is another movie, but not this one. And then there's a great scene when he discovers that he has this superhuman strength because his son keeps adding weights to his... Uh, his bar, uh-huh. and then they run out of weight, so then they add paint cans. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. pretty cool. Yeah, he discovers his superhero-ness. I, I like how you you just drifted into an entire movie. But it's not Marvel. Isn't that refreshing? No, it's not Marvelous. Well, no. who, who mm. made the movie? It might be Marvel now. M. Night Shyamalan. Well, no, the production house. Is it a, oh. Fox, is it a Fox Spotlight, Fox <sighs> movie, Fox, because Disney buys them now? I can't recall. All Whatever sudden, company it was, he severed ties with them. I'll have to look okay, it up because I know Matt want, would want to know. Yes. Seems very interested in this topic. By the <laughs> way, 52 some odd billion that Disney is buying yeah. Fox movies. So and TV. that's a big thing. Disney's buying all the Fox, Century Fox, Century. 21st Century 21st Fox. 21st Century Fox go. stuff. And which means now at Disneyland. Touchstone. That's Disney. Okay, which means now at Disneyland you will you will not only see the Seven Dwarfs and Peter Pan and all of the great princesses, you will also see Homie Homer, Homie. Uh, what's his name? Bart. Homie the clown. Homie. <laughs> Homie the clown. Oh, by the way, what is the Krusty the clown will Krusty now clown. walk through Disneyland? Oh, that'd be great. Lord Vader, Darth Krusty, Vader. A new restaurant at Disneyland. Krusty Burger. Oh boy, it's going to be great. Excuse me. Buena Vista Pictures, Buena. also owned by Disney. Yes. Buena they could, Vista. They could unite Mr. Glass and have him fight the Avengers. Okay. Now, this is the deal, It'll guys. Let, awesome. me just, let me just point something out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. If I had any energy, I would take this show back over. Really? But you guys obviously know that I don't have enough energy to push back on your crazy, whimsical conversations. It's okay. No. Whenever we break into them, we'll just we'll hand you a coloring book, some crayons. There's a nice, comfy uh, beanbag chair over there in the corner. I have brought yeah. my exclusive copy of the 2012 <sighs> comic book series entitled X-Men versus Avengers, which will be made into a movie now because they can. Speaking right? of X-Men. You will have great dialogue, <laughs> like, when question. He would only mutter the same thing over and over. Something burns. It burns. Thank you. Speaking Thank you. of burning. But, uh, by the way, I, for the record, I want it to be known that I'm not for this, this acquisition. So I'm on your side. You're against the acquisition. Yes. So, so the acquisition of 21st Century Fox. By Disney. F- studios by Disney. You're not for it. No. 
Um, let's get to then the next issue that's uh, impacting America and the world, eventually net neutrality. Mm. Right this minute, the FCC is meeting to discuss the controversial plan to repeal Obama-era net neutrality protections. Oh, they're just going to flip it. They're going to flip it back. They're going to vote against – yeah, they're going to reverse it. Which which really is a vote for big cable companies. If you are in that camp. Well – I heard an explanation this morning. Yeah, It's the idea between the smart pipe and the dumb pipe. Is this a drug deal gone no. bad? <laughs> a, a dumb pipe would be the idea that the, a cable provider like, say, a Comcast would just provide access and do nothing more to the internet, right? Right. A smart pipe would be Comcast saying, why don't we try to make it better by offering more things to our customers? Right. More mm-hmm. offering, more video, no, 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 more, no, no. more more things, more, more things you can do on the internet. So we're going to go ahead and feature our products. Right. So that's the smart pipe argument. The well, dumb pipe would be Comcast should just – you pay a fee, they give you a, a connection to the internet, and that's all they do. Well, OK. Here's the deal though. Yes. You're also giving ownership. This, this kind of then starts to say certain people have more rights to well, basically own, throttle, and make smart the internet. Yeah. But let me just suggest something and mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whisper it. It's going to be whispered. Why oh, okay. are you whispering? For effect. Oh. Um, there will be a day you don't mess with the interweb mm. because the minute you do, there are a lot of people, black ops, that can go in and basically do whatever they want to do mm. to the web. So You mean like hackers? Hackers mm-hmm. and people that will not allow throttling. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to circumvent it. And eventually, and bring down companies, mm-hmm. and so we got to remember that this whole thing started as a really interesting exercise of uh, people having freedom to do whatever they want. So a government's going to go try to regulate it, right? But the difference is, there's not one person in that room that could actually set up their own Wi-Fi. The people <laughs> that are going to make be making the net neutrality decisions, not one of them could know now, how to go in and change their own password on their own Wi-Fi. These people on the FCC board, they probably could. Do you think? The people they take their marching orders from, Congress, have no idea. Right. But do you think people actually on the F- FCC board could? The I still few, don't think they the could. The few that I, I heard, I've listened to several interviews this week. Yes, I do believe so. Okay. They, they might be able to set up I their Wi-Fi they, code. They understand these issues, but the thing is they don't create this legislation. They right. just enforce it yeah. or not. They, they make those decisions because that's their job. Right. But the legislative area is all from Congress. They get told what to do. But it also means apparently, too, once we start regulating a lot of this, which is what Obama did was come in and start putting but, the yeah. brakes on everything. And that's the opposite. Uh, our argument here is the government is putting brakes on things. Why don't we just let it go? Why, yeah. why is the government even involved at all? So who do we have breaking? It, the government yeah. or companies. The, the companies. And we've all been shafted by a that cable own, company. The companies that own the content and the connection, yeah. which is the problem. If I mean, it was just like a company that owned the internet connection yeah. and then somebody else made the content, oh, yeah. there'd be no problem. But you have the same companies owning yeah. both sides of the issue. There. I upgraded my system. Remember, I spent years paying for the highest service but having the lowest service delivered because I didn't have hardware. Mm-hmm. But they still took my money. Oh, of course. Then when we fix that problem, I now have the highest hardware. And amazingly, I still don't get great service because somehow it's kind of being throttled. Mm-hmm. It's being 
it's being played with. So when I used to have whatever, 100 whatever megabits, megabits yeah. download, whatever, it's now down to 50. Mm-hmm. And if I'm betting, it'll soon be to 30. Well, yeah. Then I'll call them and they'll say, oh, well, we could give you the super mega duper plan. Yeah, we can get you to the next tier. Let's yeah. get you to the next tier. <laughs> Do you have a yes, child? Yes, I love technology. Anyway. Yeah. Net neutrality, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going on. Let's get to the this rest of the headlines, see what Terry can enlighten us with. What else should we be paying attention to? President Trump spent much of the morning after Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore's devastating election loss searching for someone to blame and asking how defeat would reflect on him, the Washington Post reports. Citing 20 senior official aides, lawmakers, and outside advisors and confidants, the report said Trump's behind-the-scenes reaction to Moore's loss on Wednesday was nowhere near his gr- as gracious as his Tuesday night congratulatory tweet after Democrat Doug Jones won the Alabama Senate race. Isn't that what we all do when things go south, though? Like, am I going to be blamed for this? <laughs> after seeing how embarrassing yeah. Moore's loss appeared on uh, TV, of course, Trump reportedly took to the defeat personally before accusing former chief strategist Steve Bannon of selling him, quote, a bill of goods on Moore. Yeah. It's Bannon's fault. Well, now everyone's blaming Bannon, and by the way, go for it. But part of the issue, too, is there was an election, right, between Strange and... Moore. Moore. That was the primary, yeah. And the the people from Alabama voted. Yeah. And Strange lost. Mm -hmm. Moore was the man. And then Moore went in and lost to Mr. Jones. The people have spoken. The people have spoken. Deputy Attorney General uh, Rod Rosenstein praised Special Counsel Robert Mueller throughout his five-hour testimony Wednesday that Matt watched through his... uh, I listened to. ...cold medicine-induced stupor. Uh, They were in front of the House Judiciary Committee telling lawmakers that based upon his reputation, his service, his patriotism, and his experience with the department and the FBI, I believe he was an ideal choice for this task. Mueller's investigating Russian meddling in the 2016 Hmm. presidential election and any possible collusion between President Trump's campaign and the Russians. Rosenstein pushed back against Republicans complaining about uh, an FBI agent working on the investigation who was found to be exchanging text messages with an FBI lawyer that called Trump an idiot and a loathsome human. Yes, loathsome human. So he's uh, all on the Mueller train. By the way... I love the Mueller train. Do you really? It seems to be just chugging through D.C., so we'll see where it stops. (laughs) Republicans in the House and Senate have reportedly reached an agreement for a final version of the tax overhaul bill. Aides told the Associated Press that while certain details will still need to be reviewed, the final legislation will likely be unveiled later this week. That would be today or tomorrow. Yeah, later. It would be like, yeah. Yeah. Although specific details not immediately available, lawmakers had been working on getting the bill to a final vote uh, next week that would lower the corporate tax rate to 21% and top individual tax rate from 39 to 37. So, mm. man, 39 to 37 on the top, upper reach, yeah. high level tax brackets. You can look forward to maybe a little <laughs> bit of something, something coming back in your tax refund. Yeah. No? Don't think no? So. Okay. The latest uh, Harvard of survey found that 64% of respondents opposed the bill. 72% of Republicans support the GOP tax reform, 89% of Democrats, and 70% of independents oppose it. Really? That's the pulse of America, apparently. It, you know what? It seems like, and I've heard this a lot, a lot of people feel like they're more independent now. They don't feel like a party represents them. Right. So what re- happens then? I read this morning that Democrats are working to fill the void in the middle. Yeah, not going to happen. Well, we'll see. Mm. There are some. 
But I again, I listened to the hearings yesterday. Right. And I it was too completely extreme. Nobody was dealing with the reality of the middle. It was all everyone was on extreme. Well, there's no money in the middle. No money in the middle. Always in the extremes. Where is the money? It's always in the banana stand. Really? Yep. That's what I heard. Uh, CBS Los Angeles reports a JetBlue flight had to be rerouted after a male passenger started biting people. <laughs> the flight out of L.A. was somewhere over Utah when the man bit uh, apparent acquaintances sitting next to him. Oh, wow. The man then attacked a doctor who was trying to examine the victims, forcing another passenger to restrain the biter. Wow. Because I really had a heck of a time trying to keep him in his place there, the other passenger says. The flight was diverted to Las Vegas, where the man was arrested before continuing... The flight continued on to New York. It remains unclear why the man decided to bite. No, it seems his obvious. Well, but you know how to fix it. You don't need a you don't need a marshal on a plane to fix this. What? You just need a cone of silence. It's a good point for the biter. You just need one of those dog cones. Maybe somebody oh. wound his jaw and then he just couldn't stop. He couldn't yeah. help himself. He had he was, those chatter teeth. He was a yeah. hungry, hungry hippo. That's the problem. While every airplane should have a plastic cone that you just like a plastic shield you put around his neck so it's like a dog when they yeah. have surgery and that they so they don't gnaw them on their little we need wound. To put right. one around you right now well, that was rude wow well you're sick am i you, you've sickly. been complaining you've been complaining about it all morning you're I, sickly you've obviously lost weight <laughs> and i'm, I'm emaciated I, yeah I, I carried i pu- i pushed my iv and that's pole not, in here that's not an objectification that's just a reality no you just objectified me right. in my body you look like you're wearing your brother's clothes you're just yeah. swimming over there in your jacket yeah it's a good point eat a sandwich man you're lucky i have on any clothes i was just going to wear my gown from really? my hospital visit oh wow by the way can i no longer be your point person for when your iv comes out i can get a little squeamish from time to time yeah and he's not very good at finding a vein so yeah no, I'll do my own IV stuff. Yeah, so. your arms aren't going to look good the next time you have to have a, a meeting with HR. <laughs> now let's check your elbows. Do you know how hard it is fingers? to get an IV pole up those stairs to get to HR? Didn't you just pick it up and walk up the stairs? Well, there is an elevator. Well, yeah, if you had body, if you had any energy and body strength. Oh, okay. You don't even have the strength to push the button on the elevator, which uh-huh. could easily get you up to the second floor. I just kept looking at or it, hoping floor. that somebody would notice, but nobody noticed, so I stood there for like an hour. Well, mm-hmm. they thought it was the man flu. You were just faking it. Faker! Hey, uh, fun news um, that we will post sometime today. Terry will get on this. Did you hear about the little boy that jumped in to save his sister? Um, his sister is a wrestler on a wrestling team. Really? Yeah. And uh, during the wrestling match, the boy, her, her little brother, runs in and, and gets involved in the fight because he doesn't like this kid beating up his sister. Oh, so it wasn't a sanctioned school activity. No, it was, it was like a, it was a wrestling. It's a brawl. Yeah, it was like a little league soccer, but instead it's little league wrestling. Do they have uh, female wrestling teams? Well, this is, I don't know, because this is, I think, a female wrestling a male. So it's... Um, Could be one of those teams that in- includes girls on the team. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, and so it's the little boy jumps in to her 
his brother's uh, his sister's so aid. He, he doesn't really he doesn't know what's happening. No. He doesn't know that he doesn't know this that, is supposed to be happening. Hey, they're just having fun. Yeah. Sissy has on that the singlet, and Sissy has on the funny oh, yeah. earmuffs that protect her from cauliflower ear. I experienced a little bit of that at birth when my she was at the time she would have been two years old, two and a half years old, and our other daughter was born. She came to visit her in the hospital. And the nurses just came to check my other daughter's vitals, and uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old stepped in and said, no, don't hurt my baby. <laughs> it was very sweet. Really? That's yes. darling. That's darling. That is beautiful. Beautiful moment brought by Jeffrey Liamson. For some reason, the, the nurse was wrestling with our infant baby. Yeah. Never a good moment. Yeah, that's traumatic uh, to have – I mean, some things maybe kids just shouldn't be seeing, you know, because they just may not understand why that nurse is putting those forceps on that baby's head and turning him into a cone head. They may not know. You know, what do you do? Hey, have you got a lot of stress because the holidays are coming up? Uh, Up next, we're going to be talking about how to trim your holiday traditions. Maybe you can back it down a little bit, you know, maybe come back to a normal level instead of just keep... You don't have to keep accumulating traditions. Brooke Romney will be joining us. Fun discussion straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you make it through the holidays with the most love possible. Welcome back, friends. You know, you might be on your way to do some Christmas shopping right this very moment, or maybe finding time to bake those five dozen cookies for your family party. Sometimes the holidays, we during the holidays, we want to smash in so many festivities, so many events, so many experiences that it makes us feel stressed. And we actually feel that much more than any holiday cheer. Holiday cheer. Today we're going to have a, a great friend and, and guest joining us. Brooke Romney um, is here. And Brooke is a, a blogger, a writer extraordinaire. And she's got some wonderful ideas on how to trim the holiday traditions. Brooke, how are you, my friend? I'm great. So good to be here again, Matt. Good to have you on. I love uh, your insights and, um, and I love your family. I love your parents to death. You've got, you've got some good genes. Thank you. It was a it was a lucky break on that one. Yeah, totally. Plus a lawyer. I mean, you, that's totally a gift. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'd rather have a you know a pediatrician or something. I know. Maybe. Wouldn't that make more sense? <laughs> or like somebody that could set up your Wi-Fi. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so, Brooke, talk to me about uh, the holidays because I, I it's stressful and it just seems like part of it is we want we have this weird expectation we want our kids to have so many experiences. But we also might end up overdoing everything. Yeah, you know, so I moved um, growing up. Christmas was my favorite holiday, and I looked forward to it every year. And it was just this amazing, full feeling at Christmas time. And we grew up around all of our extended family. And so when I moved away from Utah, um, there was not, I just felt really empty. And I wanted my kids to have that full, fun, holiday, Christmas feeling that I got to have growing up. And so I started all kinds of traditions. Um, We did something every single day, and we involved a lot of neighbors and friends, and it was a lot of work, but I loved it. Mm. Um, And then we moved back to Utah, 
And I had all of those traditions that I had created, plus all of the family traditions mm. that we had now that we were back by family, plus Utah does Christmas better than anywhere in the world. And so we had all of the other traditions and my kids had started to get older and yeah. um, had, you know, still, they still had sports and they still had tests in school. And, and their performances, you got to get to the Christmas performance. Yes. Yeah. And so I became really stressed and um, I was trying to fit it all in. And, you know, I remember two years ago, I just felt like I was pulling teeth. No one wanted to do anything. And I was putting all this effort into making it <laughs> full of holiday cheer. And all I was was just grumpy. Yeah, you were the Grinch. And I was disappointed. Yeah. So um, a couple of years ago, I decided that that's certainly not the feeling that I had growing up about Christmas and not the feeling that I wanted my kids to have about Christmas was just a stressed out, grumpy mom um, begging her kids to do things with her that she didn't even think were fun either. (laughs) And so um, we decided to change things. So my husband and I sat down and, and we made some changes in our family that have been really helpful and we still have a lot of great moments and great traditions, but we've changed some things. But I'm going to so. bet you have to you have to draw a line somewhere. You maybe have to like think it through. Is the problem right? We a lot of us don't want to yeah. have to think it through, let alone make a decision about something. Well, and I think you know one of the things that I was so worried about was so what we did as a family was we sat down and we talked to our kids. My kids are getting a little older, and so we talked to our kids and we said hey, what things do you love about Christmas? Which traditions of ours are like the ones that you're going to think about forever? Hmm. And we talked about those, and each of our kids gave some, you know, gave their ideas. And then my husband and I, we penciled in the things that were important to us, you know, like some service traditions and some um, religious traditions that we thought were important. And then we put those on the calendar, and then we, of course, put our extended family stuff on the calendar, you know, the things that can't be missed. It's a great thing about Christmas is to get together with family that you sometimes don't see for a year. Right. We put those things, and then we, um, we let go of a lot of things that didn't matter to anyone. You know, I had no idea that none of, no one in my family wanted to do a Christmas craft, and I don't like Christmas crafting either. <laughs> so you're you know, like, I, yes. Every year I was trying to come up with a Christmas craft. Yeah. I even wanted to do it. That's great. So it was really, it was really freeing. Um, it made our holidays so much more enjoyable. We still got to do all the things we loved and without the stress. And, you know, even some of the things that we kept, our family does a really fun marshmallow snowball fight every year. And that was on the top of my kids list. Now, how does that work? Because uh, that actually sounds like something my kids could get into. It's so fun. So we just invite a bunch of our neighbors over, and you use those really big campfire marshmallows. Mm. And we put a line down the center of our backyard. And, you know, sometimes it's snowing, sometimes it's not, but it works either way. And you throw the marshmallows, and you play it just like dodgeball. Oh, wow. They switch sides, and we play a few rounds. And my kids love it, and I love it. Um, But when we moved to Utah, our neighbors were really busy um, with (laughs) all of their own things. And so... We weren't getting a great turnout, but I was, I I used to make like all this food and made this, you know, made it a really big deal. And um, when I realized that it wasn't going as well as it's gone in other places, I just let the kids invite their friends. I made some Rice Krispie treats and hot chocolate. We kept it all outside. I didn't my house clean. Yeah. Just kind of same, same tradition, scaled back to what's really important. And then really, are you picking up marshmallows the rest of the year? Um, yeah. Okay. But you know what? Hey. Or you just get a dog, and then, you know, yeah. you'll probably have to get a new dog every couple of years. 
Yeah, they don't melt. So, you know, so that's just that's fun. that we tried to do is scale things down. And I got some great feedback from readers. And one of my favorite comments was um, someone said, we've decided that our Christmas tradition for our family is being together. And so it doesn't matter what we're doing. It matters that we take the time to be together. Oh, that's and great. I just, I just loved it. And I thought, you know, that takes away so much of the guilt because maybe one year you're being together is watching a lot of Christmas movies. And maybe one year you're being together is doing all kinds of service. But whatever you're doing, Christmas is a time where your family remembers being together. And it's not about necessarily the events that you do. Oh, I so. love that. And then it's not, yeah, it's not about an event. It's not about, it, 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 sometimes it depends on the money and it depends on all those other circumstances. But in the end, our goal was to be together. I, I guess that's yeah. the perfect way to probably take some of the stress off is make it so it doesn't have to be a specific thing. Like, have you ever had a situation where it's got to be, we've got to make gingerbread houses. We've got to, we got to make them. And then by the time you're done, half the kids are crying. You are mad at everybody. Your spouse is not talking to you. And, but we got our, we got our stuff made. Yes. And that is, I feel like things like that happen all the time, you know? And the thing that I've had to realize as my kids are getting older is, I have to be flexible. What used to be fun to them is no longer fun. And that's okay, you know? And so one of our traditions now is we go to a nice dinner at Christmas time downtown. You know, seven years ago, that wouldn't have been fun for anyone in my family, and especially me. But now that they're older, that's something that we really look forward to. And so it's, you know, we've just kind of switched our traditions just a little bit. That's great. And I've had to be flexible. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, another and, reader. And, and actually what you end up doing is uh, you're flexible, but you're actually bringing the right spirit to the season, right? You're, this, yeah. The spirit is different than when you were inflexible. I think so. You know, another reader. So I married a, I married a man who doesn't like to do the same thing. Once we've done it, he's ready to do something different. Well, that is not how I grew up. Right. And not necessarily how I feel about yeah. things. Let's beat that but dead for horse. Him to go... You know, for him to go to the same Christmas concert every year is absolute torture. (laughs) And so I've had to be flexible where I love music at Christmas and so does he, but we try a new Christmas concert every year. So maybe we don't go to the same Christmas concert every year, but we do something musical at Christmas. And so just adding that flexibility for all of us has been really freeing to me. I haven't thought, my kids aren't going to remember going to this one Christmas concert, but they will remember Music at Christmas, and that's the important thing for me. They that remember is music great. At Christmas, so it's almost so. like you're you're teaching us to guide it by kind of more of a universal than a specific, but a principle like something new, a new Christmas concert. But it's going to be musical. So our goal is to do something musical every Christmas. What it is, let's be creative and see what feels best that year. Absolutely, you know. And when your kids are little, maybe it's a sing along, and as they get older. Maybe it's something more, you know, we went to the lower lights this year, which was fantastic, you know, and just trying something new. So I had to get over the fact that traditions don't have to be exactly the same every single year for it to be a memory for my kids. And you can get rid of traditions. Yes. You can let some go, like some that just don't work anymore. Yeah, you know, and when they get when the kids get older or when their tastes change or maybe something in your life change. Maybe your finances have changed and you can't 
afford a tradition that you used to do. I don't think it's worth it to go into debt or to not be able to buy Christmas because you're trying to get to all of your traditions. If You know, if your financial situation has changed or, you know, maybe one of your kids needs a little more love that year. And so you do something that's something more that they want to do or that they're interested in because they're feeling a little down that Christmas. You know, just kind of being a little flexible, but also holding on to that Christmas spirit, which is love and family and peace, which we so often forget. So mm, so true. Again, we're speaking with Brooke Romney uh, from the, the website, brookromney.com. And uh, Brooke is a writer, a blogger, and today she's talking about how to trim your holiday traditions. And what what I think is great about your blogging, Brooke, is you can you can actually create this dialogue where best practices and and wonderful ideas appear. So you throw something out on the blog, and then you get your your readers involved, and it really becomes a community of of insight. It really has this this article especially because you know this is something that I was just kind of toying with in my mind, and I wrote the article. And then I got such wonderful insight from readers, and I thought, okay, that's exactly where I was going. That's exactly how I feel. And it kind of affirmed that the direction that I was going was the right way, at least for our family, for us to be able to let some things go, to be more flexible, to show more love, to have a little more peace. Um, Another thing that I think is really important is so often as parents, we are the orchestrators of the holidays. Yeah. And we don't participate in the holiday. You know, you're not able to be a part of the party or be a part of the tradition because you're so worried about the details. And I think when we simplify things, we're able to be not just orchestrators of the tradition, but we're able to be a part of it. And I think more than anything, that's what our kids remember. They remember that togetherness. They remember mom laughing and smiling and enjoying being with them at Christmas time instead of, hustling and bustling and then being grumpy because she has to clean it all up. At yeah. Time. And stressed yeah. and angry. Yeah. And it is, it is a lot of times it seems like we're all a little, we're so stressed that we're not, we're not in that spirit of the season. Is there, when you look at it and, and I mean, again, we can trim and, and I like, I like how you're doing it too, is you can actually, you can tighten it. You can be more dynamic. You can get to the spirit of it faster. Are there, are there any, I mean, obstacles like it seems like with a family i have six kids and um it seems like never do my kids all want to do the same thing ever so opening it up and then i think i ought to open this up so we can have a really good dialogue on this but it just turns into a fight because everyone wants to do something different well one of my readers said um when they sit down with their kids they find out the most important thing to each child about christmas and they make sure those, you know, for you, it would be that those six things happen. Hmm. And then they say, if those six things happen, that means it was successful for all of us. That was a successful Christmas. And then they ask their kids to please, you know, please be a part of these traditions that are important for our, for your siblings. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Everyone wants to be a part. You want everyone to be a part of your tradition too. And so you do those six that are really important to everyone. And then, you know, here comes the flexibility again. But, you know, as my kids are getting older, what I realized was it's okay if my 15-year-old wants to go out with friends when we go drive around and look at some lights on a weekend. Right. I need to be, that's okay. That's not a super important tradition. That's not the crux of our family Christmas. It's an extra. 
And if he wants to go out with friends, and I want to take some of the littler ones to go look at some lights that we drive through, then that's okay too, hmm. you know? And that was really hard for me because I wanted everyone to be together for everything. <laughs> and now that everyone's, you know, as our life is changing a little bit, I realize it's more important that we have these big moments that we love together and then be flexible with the little things. We don't have to do something every day, but I also don't want my six-year-old to not have the experiences that my other kids got to have when right. they were small too. Oh, we are such so. bad parents because uh, our our first three we we kind of have we feel like we have two families we call them the olders and the youngers and the yeah. olders they got everything I mean they got the ride to Christmas Street and all this fun stuff and the right. youngers are like just play with your phone son just play with your phone <laughs> go look up some YouTube Yuletide videos it's like I watch feel a, so neglectful <laughs> yeah really and then like hey uh, the, the Joneses are going to down to, to see the lights at Temple Square and I'm like well call them and see if you can go with them because that would be really good for you it's horrible parenting but we're, it's, like, it's like we're so tired but this idea like you're saying is it doesn't need to be so tedious we could take the youngers and I mean like I'm finding just with my older kids they've all got a life they've all got friends right I mean, I'm like, we're going to go on a big holiday trip this this uh, year. And they, they all look at me like, well, well, I want to be here for New Year's. Well, I want to be here for the day after Christmas. And OK, well, never mind, you guys. Mom <laughs> and I will just go. We're going to leave you guys during Christmas. Am I nuts? It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. It's it's not it's right, is it? Different. Do you, you do, know, but that's the thing is, it's OK. It's OK. You know, sometimes I used to stall what we were doing, you know, in order for everyone to come along. And then I realized, hey, you know, if my six-year-old's home in an af- on an afternoon and we want to run to the mall and see Santa, let's do it. I don't yeah. have to wait for everybody to see Santa. I can just go with him and go see Santa. He's important to my six-year-old, you know. Yep. And, and that's okay. And sometimes I can get a babysitter for the six-year-old so that we can go to a cool concert that he doesn't want to sit for a couple hours in. Right. So, you know, just, just kind of. Finding those things that are really important to each individual child. And then I loved when my reader said, if we do those six things, I have to declare that it was a successful Christmas. Everyone got to do what was most important to them. So. So great. And and it seems like, too, we all got to – we also learned to serve each other. Like, I think it would be really powerful if your little brother's big thing is to go see Santa – if the other brothers and sisters could get excited about watching him or her have their big thing. And and yes, then it's and literally serving great. each other. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and, and also for them to learn to be flexible, that it's not always about you, especially, you know, in the teenage years. It's not just about what you think is fun, but being able to be excited for everyone's everything. And, you know, that includes mom and dad. That includes I love to go sing at um, rest homes and my, that's not the top of any of my kids' list, but they come and they do it and they feel good. And I hope that's a memory that they will have as they grow older, how good it felt to bring cheer to somebody during the holidays. Absolutely. So. That's great. Brooke, it's beautiful. I think it's, it's, it's that simple. It's that, it's that amazing. And I, and I think it's something that we can really truly do as a family. Brooke Romney is her name. Brooke, thank you again for your time, your talents, and everybody go check out the blog, brookromney.com. I mean, really, incredible parenting tips, advice, ideas, just for getting through life and even uh, magnifying it and also magnifying your holiday season this year as well. We will continue the journey, folks. So much to cover, so much to learn. 
as we try to be the best we can be. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Yes, yes, yes. As we're wrapping up the program, my friends, uh, so much to cover, including a lot of uh, people. They, they, they just think YouTube is YouTube, but there's some YouTubers making some serious coin. By the way, right. it's also deadly. There was a YouTuber from China that they call a skyscraper walker mm-hmm. or something, and he slipped 65 or whatever stories to his death. Right. All, by the way, filmed. It was His slipping was... On video, and uh, so that's uh, that's a big that's it's a big deal. But some of the YouTubers do such crazy stunts because they're making a lot of money. Very few make all the make a ton of money, but it's enough that yeah. it, it no, entices more few. people to give it a shot and right. try to put these things, these you know content together. Where YouTube gets free content to their website. Right. So Lily Singh is number ten. She make or I'm assuming she makes ten point five million dollars a year. Wow. Producing comedy sketches. One of them. Uh, she released a feature film called Trip to Island Unicorn for YouTube Red, which is the company's premium service. So she's making a longer features also, but she makes some wow. comedy sketches. I've never even heard of her. Ryan's toy, toy review, I believe this is, yes, six-year-old Ryan. He opens toys. Him and his family make $11 million a year watching Ryan open toys. Wow, okay. My son has watched some of these, and he's very entranced by this little boy opening toys. Uh, Smosh, S-M-O-S-H, creator uh, Alan Andrew Hickox and Anthony Padilla at Business Insider uh, at this conference. They uh, they make $11 million a year on their website making comedy. Just stuff to watch that's funny, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, Jake Paul started out as a personality on the now defunct Vine service. It yeah. was a Twitter video thing. I know Jake Paul. Uh, so he makes comedy shorts. He makes $11 million a year. And by the way, these are teenagers that just do the craziest thing, like, you know, talk about how they crashed their car. He has 12 million followers to watch him do funny things. And that's the moneymaker, right? you got to yep. have a lot of subscribers. And they're making money with YouTube, but off of YouTube with uh-huh. sponsorships. PewDiePie. Uh-huh. PewDiePie, he, he plays video games and then comments on them yeah. as they're playing. And he'll just talk while he's playing video $12 games. $12 million. A year. Yeah. Mark uh, Fishbach makes $12 million a year, known as Mark Piler, a YouTuber focused on gaming. He has an energetic style, and his site has over 18 million followers. Wow. Again, people you've never heard of. Logan Paul, $12 million. Logan's brother is the other one that we just talked about. Right. He, again, from Vine, makes comedy. He has yeah. a Disney Channel TV show. It's because of the following on social media. He's gotten a TV show out By of the way, Disney. It used to be you needed a big network to go get a following. Now these people get their following, and now they make the network. Right. Dude Perfect. Uh-huh. They Look, make trick shots with basketball, hockey, tennis, all kinds of sports. And there's some comedy and things of that nature. But they make $14 million a year. Evan Fong is a... Uh, He's not much known about him. He posts comedy videos and shows him um, playing various video games. Interesting. He's got fifteen million a year coming into him. He's a twenty-five-year-old Canadian, and the top earner is Daniel Middleton. He, otherwise known as the Diamond Minecart, a popular YouTube game focused on Minecraft. 
Oh yeah, he makes sixteen million a year. People watch him playing Minecraft, and then they and then he'll go in and play because you can play with other people, and then he'll go in and sabotage their game. He had a world tour this year that included four sold out nights at the Sydney Opera House for Minecraft. Where he'll sit, what, on a stage and play Minecraft? Or talk to the... I don't know what they do with these things, but he makes $16 million These kids nowadays! Now, my kids have watched, I think, most of those. That's scary. Oh, boy. My kids are making these kids rich. Okay. Well, interesting. Uh, we will take a break, come back, do a little empty news for you, and a hero story. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Little empty news as we wrap up the hour, Jeffrey. What uh, and, you know? What's what's empty? Well, you empty just, meaning you Matt just Townsend. Spoke course. with your guest about trimming some of the holidays and traditions that you, or not holidays, but the traditions right. in that holiday. So uh, a lot of people like to throw snowballs at each other. Oh yeah, that's a tradition. She that was talking about throwing in. marshmallows. Yeah. Uh, so there was going to be the world's largest snowball fight, Ooh. but it was canceled. Due no snow. to snow. Yeah, you got to have snow. No, due to snow. Oh, they had so snow. Six Flags Great Adventure Park in Ocean County, New Jersey, planned a massive snowball fight <laughs> as part of the Six Flags Snow Day on Saturday. The theme park was attempting to break the world record for the largest snowball fight, but uh, yeah, they had to cancel it because of inclement weather. Aww. The area ended up being blanketed in about six inches. Well, of now snow. they've got more ammo, so they can come back and uh, fire on each other. Cool stuff, Jeffrey. Thank you. Uh, it's now time for the hero story of the day, my friends. Rebecca Boning was driving along Interstate 40 on uh, Wednesday afternoon when she suddenly felt a change in her body. The type 2 diabetic's blood sugar level was crashing. I started shaking. My heart was racing. I had heart palpitations. I was sweating. She said it was scary, and it happened all so very quickly. What happened next was uh, has landed uh, uh, Boning in the... Uh, and a cashier, by the way, at a local fast food restaurant in the spotlight. Boning approached the Western Street exit on December 6th in her hometown um, and ended up, by the way, um, near a Burger King. And she quickly made her way to the drive-thru. It was there as she communicated through the loudspeaker with uh, the, the, the person on the other side, Tina Hardy, at the restaurant and ended up basically telling her, I'm feeling kind of fuzzy. And uh, Tina ran out and helped her, called 911, got her to safety, secured the car, made sure everything was okay, and um, and took care of her. How cool is that? So when in doubt, just pull into a, a Burger King drive-thru. If you have any issues, any problems, they're going to be willing to help you there, as I think anybody would. Uh, that's what really makes the hero in all of us. That's the show, my friends. Thank you so much for being with us. It is good to be back and to know that we've got each other. Hey, straight ahead, BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us.